lives this day and come safe home will stand a tiptoe on this day's name and rouse him at the name of Christian. I didn't tell you to stop. Keep going. Keep going. Go! He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin. Then will he strip his sleeves, show his scars, and say, These wounds I had on St. Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. Well, he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, being their flowing cups freshly remembered. And this story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispin shall ne'er go by. From this day to the end of the world. For we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England, now obey, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks, who fought with us, upon St. Crispian's Day. We're all really different people. We're not Watusi. We're not Spartans. We're Americans, with a capital A, huh? You know what that means, do you? That means that our forefathers were kicked out of every decent country in the world. We are the wretched refuse. We're the underdog. We're mutts. But there's no animal that's more faithful, that's more loyal, more lovable than the mutt. Who saw Old Yeller? Who cried when Old Yeller got shot at the end? Nobody cried when Old Yeller got shot, I'm sure. I cried my eyes out. So we're all dog faces. We're all very, very different. But there is one thing that we all have in common. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. We're soldiers. But we're American soldiers. We've been kicking ass for 200 years. We're 10 and 1. Now, we don't have to worry about whether or not we've practiced. We don't have to worry about whether Captain Stillman wants to have us hung. All we have to do is to be the great American fighting soldier that is inside each one of us. Now do what I do, and say what I say, and make me proud.
It is 9 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of November. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day, and happy Veterans Day to you. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program coming to you live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. We are here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us today. It is 503-733-2970. It is 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvitches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, recipes, whatever it is you might have on this Tuesday. Uh, it is Tuesday. And welcome to Day 12. We are glad you're there. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the absurd, the ridiculous, ponderous, the pointless, whatever it is you got. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T. 970.am. And again, it's uh, 503-733-2970. Pardon me while I pick up my pen. You're like flinging that thing around. Well, you know, I do that Letterman thing of kind of the... Uh, I really am just a conglomeration of traits from other people. Because this, that's from Rush. Mm-hmm. And then throwing my pen around and going uh, during interviews, you'll hear me go... That's, uh, that's a Letterman thing. All right, I just dropped it on the floor and picked it up uh, obsessively. That's a me thing. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on the day, we'll talk to Cena Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, we'll also talk to uh, James Roop, who is in Los Angeles as we speak, preparing more news for all of us. Dawn Taylor from Film.com is going to be in the studio later on, the uh, 2 o'clock hour. She's going to talk about, it's either three or four discs. But it's uh, Oliver Stone, I guess, he just put out some massive... And I don't think it's like a Blu-ray thing. I think it's just because he's... Because he's kind of got that Frank Zappa completist thing where every single frame of film he's ever shot will eventually be released to the public. So I guess there's some, I think it's a four DVD set of the movie JFK, which is apparently just filled with stuff. I mean, I guess it's just one of the biggest box sets that ever come out for a movie. So uh, Dawn Taylor, who uh, I think for a long time reviewed films for the Portland Tribune, uh, and now she's writing for Film.com. She's going to come to the studio. She'll talk about that. And other great uh, political films, uh, because uh, two things: a because uh, you know the JFK thing came out, and b because we sort of got that confluence of Veterans Day and then the post-election uh, wrap-up right now. So we'll talk to Don Taylor later on. Uh, we'll do today's top five. See now, everybody called me uh, called me mad. They all said I was crazy. They said I was uh, self-indulgent and ridiculous and pointless and absurd. But I'm telling you, it's genius, and especially genius having heard it just uh, again here in the recap the second time. I'm telling you. It was super genius. We're really on to something. Right? I'm totally stressed out. I'm still trying to put mine together. <laughs> I only have two. So i got to tell you, uh, so yesterday, I'm getting a little bit of that. Can you drop Tim's it. mic ever so slightly? I'm getting a little bit of that where I'm, I'm showing up on Tim's microphone. And you're now. really, really loud today, by the way. I am? Yes. All right. I don't know why. Well, it's because... These are back in full force, Rick Emerson. I was going to say it's because I'm on the comeback trail. I was going to come up with something more witty, but it didn't really come together right there. So we did this top five yesterday. It was the top five songs that would accompany a car chase in the action film of my life. And everybody thought it was a ridiculous idea, and even now it's a ridiculous idea. But it's one of those ideas that is simultaneously ridiculous and awesome. And so today, Sarah Dillon will be presenting the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of her life. 
Later on today, the top five songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence of the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. But the movie of my life in different genres. That's right. You're taking it one step further. Oh, I'm, I'm taking it all the way, Rick Emerson. So you're going to do like the action movie of Sarah I'm Dillon's get, life. I'm getting a little creative with this. The romantic comedy of Sarah Dillon's life. Uh, perhaps the gothic musical of Sarah Dillon's life. And then tomorrow, Tim Riley does the same list. So it's all very exciting. So that's coming up later on today. Uh, we will get to today's installment of the greatest songs ever made. Geek Watch coming up today. Bush Watch coming up today. Uh, Cannibal Watch coming up today. Let's see, what else? Well, that's enough to get us started. Oh, oh, and I'm right here in my hands. I'm holding something fantastic. And by fantastic, I mean awful. And by awful, I mean great. So we'll get to the, it's, a, it's a compact disc of musical favorites. So we'll get to this. I played, I played some of these for Chris Paddock and Susan Reynolds yesterday. And uh, I have to tell you, as great as I thought this CD was going to be, and I'm not even going to give a hint as to what it is. As great as I thought this CD was, it was so much better when I actually put it in and listened to it in the presence of other people. So I, I don't want to be all overly vague about it. I'm just going to say I have a great CD that we're going to try to get through today because it's uh, it is wonderful and awful. Uh, let's see. Today, Glorious Bastard of the Week. Uh, we'll announce the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Some of your emails, your phone calls, and all of that. It's 503-733-297. 503-733-297. Yes. I have two of the songs now. Mm-hmm. The Genius. I know. It's what I'm saying. I'm also writing the movie plot. Is that all right? So I have really? the songs and then... Like the one-line of... synopsis? Yeah, well, it's like a, a, a few sentences for each one about um, what exactly would be happening and what kind of person I am in this movie. So we're not only going to get the songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence of the but movies you of your life, we're actually going to get like a mini treatment for the film as well. That's what I'm saying. All right, Tim Riley. Don't go at all, Rick Emerson. <laughs> Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. A fair storm is moving in from the coast. 60 mile an hour winds reported in Lincoln City. A missing baby is found under the floorboards of a Woodburn home. <sighs> a 22 year old is the world's youngest poker champ. Starbucks profits dropped some 97%. MSNBC tears up Keith Olbermann's old contract and presents him with a new lucrative new one. I'd like to think that Keith Olbermann doesn't have a contract, sort of Don Draper style. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when Duck Phillips comes in and tries, Olbermann, you're, we're not going to renew your contract. And then Olbermann says, I don't have a contract. And then exhales. Joe Scarborough drops the F-bomb while retelling a body water cooler story. Wonderful. President Bush is upset that Obama aides leaked details of their private chat. The Obama girls have been invited to appear on Hannah Montana. Sarah Palin says God will show her the way in 2012. Mm-hmm. And it is Veterans Day. And how would you like to be a veteran from Russia? Russians, there, there were 20 submariners. We're just finding this out, mind you. This happened over the weekend. 20 Russian submariners are killed with gas poisoning aboard a nuclear sub. With gas poisoning? But you mean there was some sort of like an accident? Yeah, aboard a nuclear sub last weekend that we're just finding about now. Didn't this happened some killed. years ago? Yeah, the Russians are up to their old tricks hiding things. Didn't this happen? Wasn't that thing? What was that thing? The Kursk? Wasn't yeah, that, was. that Russian That's submarine, the Kursk, that sank, and then, like, you know, they, they could never, they weren't ever able to get it back up again? This one didn't sink. They were gas poisoned this oh, time. All right. And a woman is killed by her husband's coffin on the way to bury him. <laughs> Don't laugh. No one laugh. That is horrible. Well, but... That's what I'm here but for. But now they're together. Now, rejoined. I'm sa- Glass half full, Sarah. Don't be relentlessly negative. Always try to see the silver lining, or the satin lining in this case. 
Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented uh, Sarah X. Dillon. Hello. How are you today? Hello. Oh, my gosh. You're I'm obsessed with the top today. five now. It's no, taking... I'm sorry. It's distracting because you told me, I'm like, can I just do it tomorrow? And you're like, yeah. no, you must do it now. And I can't do it half-assed. So I'm sorry. I was distracted yesterday. I didn't get it done because I went and saw... Repo the genetic opera. So I talked to you last night. I actually gave you a phone call, and you were were you still there when I called you last night? Yeah, yeah, I stepped outside because they're right. still doing the question and answer. And so this is, um, I hate to ask this. Can you sweeten my microphone ever so slightly? I know you think I'm You're too just loud. Not loud enough. Well, no. Here's the thing. It's like my no. It, you actually it did tone down because at the beginning of the show it was very loud. Yeah, and I think you know my my voice has actually improved substantially, but I uh, I don't want to overtax myself. You know these uh, these types are what pays the rent. So right, let's move forward. it sounds just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tim. Uh, so, uh, but I called. You you last night and you had gone to see this movie and for those who really don't know what what I'm talking about which is probably almost everybody there tell me if I've got this right I want to make sure I got this the, the description correct here it is a industrial gothic vampire musical not a vampire sorry futuristic it is, it is a futuristic post-apocalyptic gothic industrial musical featuring Paris Hilton in a starring role Yes. Yeah. Excellent. And Giles from Buffy, who yeah. plays the Repo Man. Anthony Head. It is. It was the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. So it was in like my a one night life. only screening, right? One night only, and not only um, was one of the starring guys there, Terrence, uh, who I met, who was who's the one who sings that. Uh, he plays the. Um, What's his name? His, the grave robber in that song that I play over Isn't and that over song and over you've been again, playing, that little black robber. bag with a yes. big syringe? So this man, this beautiful, beautiful man who stars in the movie, he also, I think he was the composer, or a, he was a writer and a composer on it as well. Not, not only was he there last night, and I got to meet him, but he was also, uh, the director was also there, and the director was also did the last three, like, crappy song movies. Uh-huh. But uh, it was interesting. There was a Q&A afterward. But this movie, I can't even compare it to anything else. Was it more wonderful or terrible? I mean, really, if you had to pick one, good or bad? I would say good. Really? It was like nothing I have ever seen before. Basically, it takes What is place... the overlap, would you say, between the list of things that make it good and the list of things that make it bad? Is that like an 80%? It's just, it never stops. That's the thing. It's just like you, you don't, there's no downtime in it, so it just keeps like plunging on through. Like they finish one ridiculous song, and then all of a sudden there's a guy dancing around with somebody's you know, skinned face on him, like <laughs> singing about how his brother and sister should have sex. And, like... Tammy, you're writing this down. It sounds like you're, <laughs> it sounds like you're next must-see. Honestly, it was, but it was kind of neat, too, because a bunch of people that were there were total nerds, because everyone's been seeing like the YouTube clips. Right. If you've been following it at all. So a lot of people were singing along to it and stuff. I see it as being a more demented like version of Rocky Horror. Fantastic. And, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. It was completely ridiculous. I was totally confused, but at the same time, it was pretty and bloody. And it was like a, like a pretty dark, futuristic snuff film or something. Really? That's a, <laughs> a combination of phrases you don't really anticipate anybody saying. Literally poking out their own eyeballs. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So that was your night. No, so any, if you ever have a chance to see it, anyone, do yourself a favor, do it. And it it's called what? Repo the Genetic Opera. Repo the Genetic Opera. All right. And so what, how large of a, I'm talking about a film, it's almost pointless now because it's already gone, right? They took it to Seattle? They took it to Seattle, but they're going to distribute it um, more so. But I mean, they're traveling it across the country because they couldn't get a lot of promoting funds, which is why the director and, you know, the writer are going around right. trying to promote this and get the word out. So they're relying on people, you know, who do see it in the smaller venues to, you know, Would you pay to people. see this film? What would I pay? Yeah, well, no, I mean, would you? Would you? Because you got the press pass. Would you pay to see it? Yes. 
Really? Yeah, I'd pay to see it in a, in a Would theater. Would you pay to see it again? Well, because the unfortunate thing was is that the Clinton Street, you know, it's an older venue. And it is. so a lot of the speakers weren't working. Yes. So, uh, um, you know, like... It is only, a vintage theater. Only one out of the four speakers were working. <laughs> and so that was... I could tell that they were a little bummed out because a lot of the sound was pretty... Like watching a movie through a bad AM radio? No offense yeah, to us. Yeah, I, I would love to see it, um, you know, like in digital picture, like on a big screen. I would I would pay full price. I wouldn't even pay matinee. I'd, play, I'd pay full price. Excellent. Well, that's wonderful. So, yes, it was ridiculous. That's what I did last night. All right, then. It is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, lots to come today. Uh, I may just get a couple of these notes from last night. Then we will uh, take a break. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins around the corner. And, by the way, I should say, because I think you and I should have a pact from now on. Uh, you know, this doesn't apply to Tim, because Tim is always Tim is always absolutely uh, Tim is a Tim is a bright and shiny golden professional every single day. Tim, you have no bad days. You have no off days. You have no days in which you were anything less than stellar. Well, I mean, in the tradition of Edward R. Murrow. That's what I'm saying. You, you CBS really, News. you uphold that legacy in a, in a way that is both uh, honorable and uh, you know and admirable, Tim. Now, Sarah and I will occasionally come in, and one of us is perhaps feeling just a, just the slightest bit hinky about something. Mm-hmm. One of us is feeling uh, I don't know, ever so slightly cranky, or maybe off, or weird, or manic, or nutty, or kooky, or depressed, or whatever. Um, so I'm going to do two things right now. One. Is a little uh, a disclaimer about me today with an explanation. And then the second thing, which I will actually do first, because I'm crazy like that. I think, Sarah, that you and I now, in the presence of Tim and God and everyone, should make a pact. That I think we should make a pact for honesty for all time going forward on this program. That if um, one of us asks the other if something is wrong, strange, weird, good, bad, or in any way if we are feeling a little bit uh, out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. we are forbidden to lie. Because I know occasionally... We're always honest. I'm just... But here's the thing. Have you noticed this? That sometimes... And, and really, this is not... This is I'm not saying this because of anything. You seem normal today. I'm a little crazy. You're a little crazy today? I'm a little crazy today. Not bad. That's just crazy. Like but the thing about... Here's the, the relationship between Sarah and myself. I read this article actually this morning on CNN.com about work... It's true because you're really married to two women. Uh, that's, Let's just be honest. See, but I read this article this morning on CNN about work spouses, mm-hmm. which is a phrase that I'd never really heard before. And then I was reading it, and it's kind of like when you're taking the AA quiz, or so I'm told, and you, uh, you're you going through the, you know, step, you know, question five, question six, question seven. And, you know, it's like if you have answered yes to more than two of these questions, you are an alcoholic. And, you know, and in many ways, these relationships can mirror a real marriage. That's what I'm saying. So I was reading this, this do you have a work spouse quiz this morning on well, CNN. All true. No, it was like every single one of them was true of Sarah and myself. So, so the thing about Sarah and I, though, is... That we are always, like many couples, we are um, always eventually honest with each other, but sometimes not initially honest. So Sarah, let's say, will come in and she'll go, how are you, Rick? You seem a little odd. And they'll go, I'm not odd. You're, you shut up. You leave me alone. I'm fine. And I'll sort of be in denial for the first hour and a half of the program. And then around 1 o'clock, I'll finally just admit that something is bothering me or I've had a bad day or my morning has gone weird. And, of course, once I admit it, then I feel fine. But Sarah and I will occasionally resist and we'll spend the first third of the show digging in our heels and denying that we are feeling weird in any way. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, Sarah, from now on, we need to have a pact that if one of us asks the other if something is bad, out of the ordinary, or if we are in any way off kilter, we are forbidden to lie or to delay an honest admission of that fact. If it is the case, 
We have to admit it the first time we're asked. Well, you can be bluntly honest with this person about his or her appearance, hygiene or hair, and vice versa. <laughs> You're comfortable enough to point out that the other's hair is sticking up or that somebody's fly is down. You depend on this co-worker for office supplies, snacks, and aspirin. There are inside jokes that you and this specific co-worker share. When something eventful happens at work, this co-worker is the first person you seek out for debriefing. It's like I'm looking into a mirror. All right. That's creepy. I have to read that. Where is it? The CNN. Oh, I printed it out. We'll, we'll do it. CareerBuilder.com. Let's, let's do that okay. later as an actual segment as a, in the news hour. Because we can actually so spend real. some time on that. So can we have that, that packed going forward? Yes, absolutely. Right. So that being said, I'm a little kooky today. I'm not bad. I'm not in a grumpy mood at all. I'm not the cross. I'm not irate. I'm not irritable. I will say that I... It, I'm going on several nights of very little sleep, for one thing, because I had this, you know, and again, I, I'm not sick anymore. It's just my throat kind of getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. No, mine's getting bad. But see, here's oh, the... Oh, no. See, yes. there you go. And the thing about it is, not to be all gross about it, but you know when you when you get like your... When you get sort of a cold and your throat gets a little raw, it's sort of like when you cut yourself or you get, uh, you know, a scrape, and as it's healing, it gets that low-grade... You know, like when you get a scrape and it heals, and there's that low-grade kind of itch, you know, of a, of a scrape when it's healing? Well, you have that little... Yeah, in the back of your throat. Totally. And when your throat is healing from being sick, it gets that little tickle sometimes, you know, as it's sort of repairing. And so it's now like not actually being sick. It is the little bit of the cough that comes from the tickle that comes from my throat getting better in the house that Jack built. Mm-hmm. That's keeping me up all night. And poor Lara, who had to get up at 3.30 in the morning today to go to the airport to go to South America. <gasps> oh, so that's also why you're kind of wonky And that's today. the thing. It's like the last three days, Lara and I have really been trying to get everything done for her trip to Peru. Well, that's kind of scary, too, because she's like making boats and stuff. Right? No, she's... At, do you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but do you know this? At one point... And keep in mind, this is all because she's opting to do it. I mean, so it's not like anybody's... It's when she's been taken there at gunpoint. At one point in her trip uh, to Machu Picchu, she is going to have to spend, because of the way the Amazon is constructed and the way that the river sort of narrows and, and the paths, she is going to actually have to spend the night on an island made out of reeds. She will have to get to this island on a boat that they themselves make out of reeds on the shore. I swear to God, she's going to be hiking up the shores of the Amazon, the bank of the Amazon. She's going to get to a certain point at the Amazon. They are going to have to sit down by the by the bank of the Amazon, weave together a boat out of reeds, float on this boat to the middle of the river, spend the night on an island made of reeds, and then go to the other side in the morning. Something to do with the way that the uh, the level of the river rises. And Not falls. only that, can I tell you, uh, I have a friend. I have a friend who went to Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. and it's a five day hike. And uh, and he said that there's also a point where the trail breaks, and the only point to get up across this river is to get into this basket. Ugh. And they actually pull you across on a string in a basket. It's the only way to get there. On across like a raging river, and someone has to get over across the river and then pull you across oh, on a basket. Jesus. See that ain't right. That's yeah, just wrong. I know. I've seen pictures that looked really, really freaky. No, and your tour guys have toothpicks in their nostrils. No, I. Uh, I mean, it's it's a whole lot of freaky. So, but I mean, God love her. That's that's what makes her her and me me. But um, anyway, so the last, you know, so she's she's excited, but she's been really, you know, I think it dawned on her in the last two or three days, like, holy Christ, I'm going to the Amazon. Last night we were doing that thing of walking. You know, we were walking the dogs. And, you know, it's a, you know, kind of a beautiful sort of, you know, kind of chilly Portland night. And I said, you know, does it weird you out? I said, where are you going to be in 24 hours? I said, 24 hours from now, where will you be? And she said, well, in 24 hours, I'll be in Lima, Peru. And I said, where are you going to be in 48 hours? And she said, well, I'll be in transit to this, I don't know, to, you know, which is some place near the Amazon. And I said, okay, where are you going to be in 72 hours? 
And she said, in 72 hours, I will be actually going up the Amazon on my way to Machu Picchu, which is just freaky. You know what I mean? Wow. Anyway, so, so, she, so I haven't been getting a lot of sleep the last few nights. So last night, she goes to bed. Uh, and I, I don't know. She packs, and then she goes to bed at around midnight. I'm trying to get some stuff done. And then I go to bed around 1.30. I can't get to sleep because I'm coughing. So I finally fall asleep at around 2.30 in the morning. Her alarm goes off at 3 in the morning. I don't want to be a jerk, so I get up. I offer to take her to the airport knowing she'll decline. I don't want to be a jerk, so I get up. And I'm up then and awake until 4 in the morning. I try to go back to bed at 4.30 in the morning. I continue to cough. I finally fall asleep at 6 o'clock this morning. And then I woke up late at around 8.45. So... So that was kind of my night last night. Oh, and then I woke up with one of the dogs sitting on my uh, sitting on my chest and biting my nose. So I've had a little bit of a morning, just so everybody knows. Oh, and then the FedEx guy came and rang the bell at like 7.30. So, anywho, so that's been my day. That being said, going to be one of the best shows we've ever had. we take a break, come back after this. Lisa Desjardins, later on, Tim Riley, Don Taylor, Lisa Desjardins, Jim Roop. Top five greatest songs ever made in your phone call. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Radio program. It's 503 Oh, coming up later on the day, Nina Parker with TMZ. I almost forgot about that. Yay! Ugh. This whole week is just blended. I can't tell what day is what. It's like last week, all day last week, I kept thinking it was Friday. And it was really never Friday. And then on Friday, I was like unconscious most of the day. So. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Coming up in just a few weeks on the CNN Radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? Talk to Jim Roop coming up. Dawn Taylor uh, from Film.com. We'll talk to um, uh, Nina Parker from TMZ. We'll do the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the film of Sarah Dillon's Life. All right, so far I have two. All right. And Tim is already working on his for a Wednesday. This one says, Rick, your top five makes no sense. How many chases of any kind have you had in your life? Zero, right? That's what I thought. What is the point of these chase songs for a movie of your life? Shouldn't the list have been something like top five sitting around and obsessively organizing my DVD collection soundtracks? Also, everybody needs to do a top five songs I want played at my funeral list. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I'll look into it. I, that, I don't know. That seems, more like, that seems like one of those things that's going to conjure some bad. Like, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be walking uh, downtown, and there's going to be some anvil that's going to fall out of the sky like Wiley Coyote style and crush me. Uh, let's get one call, then we'll welcome Lisa Desjardins to the program. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick, Sarah, Tim, best show ever. Hey, thank you. Did you ever read the brochure about your wife going down to uh, Montepichu? Well, there wasn't really a brochure. There was like this sort of blurry printout from some guy named Hector. <laughs> hey, my aunt did this about, well, their summer, so it would be last February, whatever. She wove the uh, grass boat and slept on the island. Right. And you can only pack in so much food. And she told me for three days for added protein, they were eating guinea pigs. 
Apparently, uh, again, everything I know about Peru I've gleaned from episodes of No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain. Oh, cool. Apparently, guinea pigs are very, very big in Peru. I guess a lot of the, I don't know what they do, the, the, the shamans or traditional medicine guys or witch doctors or whatever they're called, I guess right. I guess uh, guinea pigs play a tremendous role in the diagnosis of various illness, uh, illness, illness by the witch doctor. I guess they give you some like weird grog, and they have no lie, they have a guinea pig sit on your stomach, and then the guinea pig is lifted up to the ear of the witch doctor and tells him what's wrong with you. So. Oh really? Yeah, they did also tell my wife to bring lots and lots of chocolate bars because they said that while you were on this weird island made out of twigs, that you gotta basically eat whatever's there, and that's almost nothing. And chocolate bars are like your best caloric bet at that point. So. All right. right Thank, Thank you, sir. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Romney Hill. CNN Radio Correspondent to the Stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey, guys. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantabulous is what I am. Wow. All right. Ah. Um, all right. I, I, don't even, uh, I don't even know where to start, I say, beginning this uh, segment as I have everyone for the last three months in this weird maelstrom of news we've had this year. Uh, yeah, it's so, pretty nutty, huh? Hey, before we uh, go any further here, is it... What am I to make of these reports that, that a bunch of the stuff in the Obama-Bush meeting wasn't supposed to come out, and then it did, and now the White House is all irritated about it? Yeah, the deal, it's funny. The, you know, a classic anonymous sor- sources story. So I honestly don't have any gauge on uh, whether there's anything true to that or not, but I'll tell you that Dana Perino, you know, White House spokesperson, uh, she she said that uh, she she doesn't know anything about that essentially and and what we've heard officially from both camps is that it was it went great you know and we do know that uh, Barack Obama said hey I, I think you need to sign a stimulus plan before I get into office because we need it right now right. especially for the auto industry and then President Bush said well I think you need to get Democrats to push. Uh, the Columbia Free Trade Agreement. Now, neither one of them said, you know, let's make a deal, or you know, if you do one, I'll do the other. Uh, but, but that's that's what it sounds like was erroneously reported uh, that President Bush said, all right, if you can get Democrats to back this trade deal, I'll find some money for the automakers. But both the White House and the Barack Obama staff said that's not true, that it wasn't a quid pro quo, and that uh, in fact they just each brought up, you know, the things that they want. Hey, I don't mean to, to just deviate, you know, only about like, like two minutes into this phone call, but you're talking about this money to the automakers. Yeah. Which actually prompts one observation and one question. Okay. The question is, is it true that the Federal Reserve is actually resisting any sort of transparency on who has gotten this, what I guess is now way more than $700 billion? But all this money that we forked over to, to bail out all of these, uh, these companies, is it true that the, the Fed is just not going to tell us who got that? Now, you know, it depends on how you look at things, and the truth is I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, I've heard um, those accusations be made, and I have heard uh, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, uh, which is kind of steering the ship on this, um, say that they, they do intend for, you know, every penny uh, to, to, for it to be clear where it went, who got it, what companies, but that right now the issue is that um, they're still sorting it out themselves, that they haven't given out a lot of the money, that they still haven't um, made those decisions yet. But but I've heard that in reality um, they may – some people are saying that, oh, well, they're finding ways that they will kind of hide the money under larger umbrella groups, that kind of thing. I don't know the answer to that question. I haven't been able to ferret that out. And I think that this is one of the problems with this whole – these giant uh, bailout deals is that they are so massive that they, they normally would take, oh, two years 
minimum to get underway, but we're trying to put them in, you know, into practice in just a couple of months. So it's hard to say what is intentional and what is just kind of, uh, you know, slapping something together and it not really looking the way you want it. So you know, General Motors, I know, is you know, they, they've kind of had their hand out for some time saying they need, uh, they need some cash to keep. Here's a dumb question. Is General Motors still profitable? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't think that they are. So, I'm pretty sure that they are not. I know Ford, of course, is not. Uh, General Motors, I don't know for sure. Okay, that was because that was actually going to be one of my one of my sort of question. Maybe some one of your listeners. Is, I don't. I I'm guessing no, but I don't. I don't know for sure. I mean, I would I would be curious to know that. And again, I don't I don't pretend to know the answer. I, I would be interested to know if, when all is said and done, at the end of the fiscal year, if General Motors, let's say, you know, spent a hundred dollars but made a hundred and one dollars. Because it would be my estimation, and again, I'm not saying they are, but it would be my estimation that as long as a company is profitable, uh, they ought to be asking for just two things, and those things are jack and squat. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right. And, and if I can ask just I, I mean, swear. I know they've obviously been shedding jobs, you know, more than pretty much any industry in the country, especially GM and Ford. So I, I don't know if all those job cuts have been able to um, keep them in the black or not. I, I don't think so. Always remember, the key to a happy company and profitability is just to keep firing people. Yes, indeed. Uh, um, it, and then I guess well, I'm weighing whether or not to ask this uh, this this follow-up question. I will ask a brief follow-up question. Okay. You're not obligated to answer it, and we can skip on to this inauguration business that I want to ask okay. you about. But I was watching, as I often do, Susie Orman on television the other night. And, you know, she was berating some poor, dumb Hick family from Kansas that, uh, you know, that bought like a $9 billion house. And the husband, you know, works at a, you know, like a spoon making factory or something. And, you know, and she was just saying, you know, she made the point that like, look, you know, you ought to be spending less and putting away more. And that way, when the spoon making factory decides to move its op you know, operations to Bangladesh, you're not going to be screwed. And I was thinking about, you know, how Susie Orman ought to do this segment where she interviews or, you know, interrogates, depending on how you view her style, one of these big companies as though they were a person, as though they were just an actual consumer. Yeah, I think it's a good and, idea. And so a really dumb question would have been, for example, to pick, you know, not to pick on one company in particular, but to take one of these major American auto companies that is asking for money. Could this whole thing of them needing money have been prevented by, at its simplest level, spending a little less and putting away some money, you know, for a rainy day? I think it depends on the industry that you're talking about. And I, I think that the, the trick, the short answer is um, I'm sure in some sectors, yeah, I'm sure. But I, I think with, if you're talking about the auto industry in particular, the problem with the auto industry was that they kept all their bets on all those big cars uh, that were not, um, they weren't increasing efficiency. They were counting on like the, you know, F350 market to, to just be huge forever. And, and they weren't adapting to um, kind of, Predicting what consumers would want in the future, which and and the truth is the inside of the cars weren't as nice. The out, the engines they weren't doing as much as they Japanese automakers. So I think it was um, their unwillingness to really See, adapt. And and that's my thing is that is that I mean I hate to sound hard-hearted or callous or, or whatever. I mean I you know I know that it sucks when people go through bad times, both as individuals or as companies. But, I mean, I don't really know that it's anybody else's fault if they were just making stuff nobody wanted to buy. And I would, and, and the explanation of, well, they didn't really anticipate this energy crisis or this demand for small cars, it cuts very little ice with me because you and I, I both, uh, you know, I know that you and I both remember going through this same thing in the 70s where they got so badly screwed in the energy crisis. Nobody wanted to buy their big hulking cars that were made out of, you know, like steel and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and brick. 
and they started buying smaller cars that got better gas mileage, and that's why they got that's why they got so badly beaten down by the Japanese companies. It just seems like uh, you know if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to uh, get what you always gotten. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, let's move on to inauguration. Sorry. All right, inauguration. Uh, so, speaking of speaking of Susie Orman, so she was on Larry King, and then also uh, Judy Scheinle was on Larry King, and they were talking about the inauguration. Larry King goes, uh, "Judge Judy, will you be attending Barack Obama's inauguration?" Which was hilarious because it put her in the awkward position of going, uh, "No, I haven't been invited. Can we move on?" <laughs> Uh, but that then prompted the question in my head of who does get invited to that, and is it a thing you can just buy tickets to? You cannot buy tickets to the inauguration. You probably you probably will be able to. There are many people scalping them online. And that was the story we did, and probably a lot of most everybody did today. Uh, that people are trying to sell tickets on eBay for like twenty thousand dollars in some cases and less. But you you actually those tickets are free, and you get them through your congressman's office or your senator's office. You can call either one. But to try and prevent scalping, uh, what they're doing is they they don't release any of those physical tickets until the week of inauguration. Right. So all these people selling them online, they don't have the tickets in hand either. What they have is either they are a congressional staff person, or they have someone who's promising those tickets uh, and hoping that they get it. But the truth is, nobody knows how they'll be how those public tickets. There's more than 200,000 of them, how those will be divvied up. So um, right now, do not buy. I would caution against anyone buying any scalped inaugural tickets because it's very risky at this point. Until you get to Washington and maybe see one uh, in somebody's hand, then you can decide if it's worth the money for you. But right now, just call your congressman's office, see if you can get the free tickets. Um, the VIP is totally different story. Uh, those are controlled by um, the parties and kind of the leadership in Congress as well as obviously the – Ingoing out and outgoing uh, president. I wonder if I can uh, contact, uh, you know, perhaps my uh, congressional leaders right now and offer them some sort of. I don't. Know, I can offer them, you know, my endorsement for the next time they have to run. You know, right now I could just lay it. I could just have to do. See what you can get for it. Just pure bribery and graft. Just say, look, I'll endorse you, and I will slander your opponent without mercy. <laughs> you know what? You guys should come to Washington for the inaugural. I think it'd be great. You should do the story out of D.C. Yeah, but I mean. But when you say that, I mean, when you say you should come to Washington for the inaugural, yeah. that sort of sounds like, come see the inaugural. But what it will really be is me going to Washington and sleeping in a Greyhound station, right? I mean, there's not going to be, I mean, just because I go to Washington, that's like saying, uh, you know, just because I go to Florida, I can hang out with Sonny Crockett. <laughs> no, I mean, you. well, you're a member of the media, first of all. You contact the, you know, the media office here at the Senate, see, what, see if they can hook you up with a little little spot, you know, try and work it. All right. Well, you, so okay. anyway. All right. Uh, and I know you uh, you got to run, so um, we will uh, talk at some point in the very near future. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. All right. There you go. I don't know. I don't really know that we have the uh, – I mean, I'd like to think that we have the clout to really accomplish uh, to accomplish anything, but all right. Well, we'll look into it. When is the inauguration? Be January 20th, 21st? 20th. I think it's the 20th. Yeah, because this first day is the 21st. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll take it under advisement. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503 503- Seven three three two nine seventy. How comes the top five? Oh, <laughs> I think I'm insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would agree with that. Okay. Okay. So these are. I'm trying to find a. I was trying to find a creative way to take your suggestion of what you wanted to do and right. do it. So I'm finding different themes of movies and then you know writing plot points to said movie for so, the. Now the top five will be. These are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence to the movie of your life. But the movies now is it five songs and an honorable mention? So is it six different genres? So it's like your life right, as... I can't ruin the surprise for you. I don't know. You're just going to have to wait. Well, I mean, you can tell us that. I mean, is it six different genres or are there... Yes. Okay. So uh, give me one genre that's going to be represented. If your movie was made into a blank, uh, your life was made into a blank movie. 
All right, I won't. Um, give us one. No, I can't give you one. Okay, I, but there's one that's uh, it's my teen angst movie. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Sarah X. Dillon, the movie, but the teen angst film. This is the song that would accompany yeah, the opening. Yeah, but it's not really particularly, like, not even necessarily something that I've done in my life, but putting myself into the situation of the movie. All right. I don't know. I think it might be too out of the box. No, 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 that's we'll okay. See. You know okay. what? Uh, who dares wins? And nothing ventured, nothing gained. If anything, it's making me laugh. Well, that's what it's all about. That's all that matters. Really, the show is just kind of to amuse us, and if it makes other people laugh, it's just, uh, it's so many jimmies on the entertainment cake. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Hello. This is me? Yes, it is. Hello. Oh, hi. I was actually expecting Richie. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's just... I'm Wait, just let me ask you this. Hold on. Are you the Channel girl? On. on a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointed are you that this is me and not Richie? Um, I would say a negative 5. Okay, all right. <laughs> how can I help you today? Um, uh, no, I just, was just catching up to the podcast, and I heard that Sarah got a press pass to see Repo, and I was just going to ask her how, how was it? So- if it- it's as cool or as terrible as it looks. It, it was as cool and as terrible as it looked. It is It is an amazing, beautiful mess. I would uh, say, yeah, if you get a chance to watch it, go see it. It's hilarious, and the songs are great. It's just like a constant stream of, like, ridiculous songs and colors and gore and stuff. I, I, I thought it was really good. I found it, it very entertaining. It is apparently the best of films and the worst of films. Is that, it's definitely not coming out on my island, though, so I'm just... Well, I guess it's one night here. the other Sarah. Yeah, I guess it's one night here, one night in Seattle, and then they're going to push for some sort of wider release, which they will almost certainly not achieve. Oh, and I then it'll come don't. out on DVD. So and then we can all buy it. <laughs> there you go. It'll come out. <laughs> yeah. it'll, they'll, have yeah. the, they'll have the Criterion Collection version out on DVD before you know it. And how was the woman that um, played Blind Mag? Because I'm totally obsessed over her. She was amazing. I was obsessed over her, too. Like, her makeup throughout, like, her character, the way she played the character and her makeup is just it's perfect. She just looks like she's so striking. It's ridiculous. By the way, no one is ever allowed to, uh, again, to con- uh, who accuse me of talking about a niche topic at any, at any, <laughs> of any kind on the show. All right. Thank you so much. All right. There you go. We got to take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, we'll talk to Jim Roop, talk to Don Taylor from Film.com, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. The top five greatest songs ever made, Geek Watch, Bush Watch, Cannibal Watch, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Tim, I've just received an email inviting me to join the Reagan Revolution. It's about time. Jesus. You'll never guess who it's from. You'll immediately guess who it's from. I'll immediately guess who it's from? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yes, you do. I it's do. somebody inviting me to join the Reagan Revolution. Who at this point would still be trying to leverage the word Reagan into his own personal benefit? Not John McCain. No, of course 
Now you're you're thinking way you're aiming way too high. I'm aiming way too high. Something more local? Not not more local, but more irrelevant. More irrelevant even than John McCain. Yes, it doesn't Sarah seem Palin. possible. It's from Michael Reagan, Tim. Uh, he was on TV the other day. No, really? Intentionally, or was he like one of those guys wandering in the background while they were talking about like a new subway opening somewhere? No, he was on late at night, our time, meaning it was way late at night, Eastern time. Right. Was it on? Uh, was it on any sort of a reputable network? I don't remember. I or think was it, was it like, MSNBC? Was it between big rounds of gutty rinker programming where they talk about like a thing that you know makes a waffle, you know, makes waffles and popsicles all at once? Now it's my foreclosed homes. That's all I saw on TV when I was in Vegas. Yeah. The uh, I have this here. Michael Reagan wants you to join the new Reagan Revolution, which is I think like the new monkeys or the new Shanana. Oh, uh, the new Leave It to Beaver. The the new Reagan Revolution bring conservatism back from. I'm reading this now as as it, re- it lays here on the page. I'm not changing anything. From the desk of Michael Reagan. What might that look like? I was just. What else could possibly be on the desk of Michael Reagan at this drool. point? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just soaking wet. You know what's you know what's not on the desk of Michael Reagan are phone messages needing to be returned. Probably not even a phone at this point. Dear conservative friend, uh, he says it's official. America has its first truly socialist president. And then, of course, right at the top is a picture of Michael Reagan wearing lots and lots of makeup and photographed in a dim room from far away, uh, right next to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, who's probably... Ronald Reagan's photo... Look, I don't mean to... I'm just going to say... I don't believe it was sitting next to Ronald Reagan. I, I think Ronald Reagan's photo appearing next to Michael Reagan's photo in this thing telling me to, to bring conservatism back, it reminds me a bit of... Like, was, it, uh, was it Fred Astaire that they had in that horrible commercial where he's dancing with a vacuum cleaner? Oh, yeah. And you're watching this, you're just going, Jesus, God. It's like selling the bones of Alistair Cook. Poor Reagan's been dead for like nine years, and his talentless kid is still trying to... And he's not a real Reagan, by the way. Isn't that true, Tim? That's correct, yes. He's a pseudo-Reagan. All right. Well, in any event, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth... This is Tim Riley. Yeah. Well, here we are. It is Veterans Day today, by the way. It is. And it's also uh, Big Jim's birthday. Big Jim of the Marconi Show. They've got that all around the building here. They've got the classic uh, photograph of him from Rockfest where he's standing on stage with a crown. He's got like a crown and a robe and a, and a microphone slash That's an scepter. amazing picture of him. It, it really is. So uh, anyway, so uh, happy birthday to Big Jim on happy KUFO. Birthday. Happy birthday. Well, his birthday is the day of a fierce storm, and he's moving in from the coast. Right now, the winds are gusting out there at 60 miles an hour. There's going to be three inches of rain in Portland in the next 36 hours. Three inches. And the Willamette Valley wind gusts are expected to approach 40 miles an hour. An urban pledge watch is issued for today, warning residents of the Portland metro that the storm drains could be backed up. Wait, this is where? Here. But I mean, like, here in a place that I care about, or here, like, in... Do you care about Portland? Why do you hate America? Um, well, sometimes when you say Portland, it turn, you know it ends up being a part of Portland. I don't really care about. It says Portland and Vancouver, just so they don't get feel off. All right. Is this Vancouver. in southeast or downtown Portland? Everywhere. Ah, well, okay, then I do care. Clear out those sewer drains. I'll get right on that, Tim. There is a, a clogged sewer hut line. <laughs> really? <laughs> Call it five zero three. Worst job ever. Two three one seven zero zero. Hi. Yes. Hello. Clogged sewer hotline. Yes, I know. It smells like poo. Yes, okay. Logan, no, I can't fix it. It's I... funny you should say that, because dog droppings are clogging the drains in the other Portland out in Maine. A negligent dog owner has also been fined $250. Owning a dog in the city comes with added responsibility to clean up after the dog. 
so people are being fine. There are roughly 6,000 catch basins around the other Portland. Many people assume that all the water flows down the drain, but it's not the case. About half the drains flow directly into local bodies of water carrying the dung due with them. And the, other, uh, the others flow directly into the mouth of Pennywise. It is illegal to dump dog stuff into a drain. Well, and, it's all, and it also makes you a terrible person. Don't be a jackass. I mean, look, are I... Are talking to me? No, no, no. I'm just saying to be... No, no. Yes, Tim, I'm talking to you. Makes you a terrible person. Something happening in Portland, Maine makes you the worst person who's ever lived, Tim. Is where I live, they give us those blue bags to clean up right away. And they're all scented, and they smell like money and roses. I gave you one before. I know. You know, can I just tell you, you brought in one of those dog bags uh, from Tannisborn, and these are... Now, is this paid for with your property taxes, Tim? No, the, the monthly homeowners association dues. Okay. And so they're just scattered all, all throughout in probably what I would imagine, but what a very stylish dispenser. In front of all the parks. Yeah. So you brought one in, and I had it at yet. And can I tell you that I, I had it in the studio for two or three days because it smelled pleasant, and the studio always needs a little something to make it smell, you know, yes. decent. Um, and, and then after a while, it sort of made me, it sort of made me uh, sad and envious, so I threw it away angrily. <laughs> sad and envious. Nobody's given it. You know, nobody gives us anything, uh, you know, in Southeast. I'll give you something. I'll bring you some more. Only we didn't have All we have in Southeast Portland is like free needle exchangers. That's it. Um, but now, you know, I have two dogs, not unlike you. And so I am not doubly uh, careful to make sure that I clean up after my dogs. You don't want to be that jackass guy in the block that doesn't clean up. Nobody likes that guy. Here is Tim Riley. Crews in Woodburn pulled a missing one-year-old baby to safety after she got trapped inside the floorboards of a house. Jesus. The uh, father of Kate Higgins woke up after spending the night at his parents' house, and they found the baby was gone. So the family searched for little Kate in and outside for more than an hour. No sign of her. They called police. Officers arrived, and they soon heard what sounded like coughing coming from the room where she'd been sleeping, but no baby. Police determined the sound was coming from underneath the floor. The child somehow slipped through a small hole in between the joists. Crews pulled up the flooring, and the child was taken to a hospital where she was found unharmed. This is now when you, uh, maybe I missed something. What kind of a home is this? Like uh, uh, like a home, home under? But I mean, it's not under construction or something. A home in Woodburn. All right. If that's unlike anyone else's. I was going to say maybe, maybe there's some explanation there because. I don't know about your house. My house doesn't have like big holes that you can fall through. No, mine don't even if you're a baby, doesn't have holes in which you fall through right into the floorboards. All right. It's a good thing this isn't the Twilight Zone. This would be like that episode Little Girl Lost. Oh, yeah. Where the physicist gets called over because there's this great episode of the Twilight Zone, uh, and it really is wonderful. Starring, I think, Michael Addison, who, then st- who was also in the 1958 uh, version of The Fly with Vincent Price. But. Where this woman, and I guess she's a single mom or whatever, yeah. but the but the mom wakes up in the middle of the night because she hears that she hears the daughter calling and she can't find her, and she goes into the room and she hears the daughter but can't see the daughter, kind of like in Poltergeist, and it's a great episode. But the best thing about it is, the best part of the episode is, like she goes into the bedroom, daughter nowhere to be found, but she hears the daughter's voice going like, "Mom, where are you?" And rather than checking to see if the daughter has somehow fallen under the house or maybe through a hole in the wall, she immediately calls a physicist friend of hers who can come over and see if maybe the daughter's fallen into some other dimension. One of those things that will only happen on the Twilight Zone. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? I've got a quick question. Did you, by chance, read the Sunday Oregonian? Uh, I, like most uh, Oregonians, did not. I read the New York Times myself. (laughs) Well, I I apologize. I read the lowly Oregonian. But I was Don't feel badly you know about it, that. Do. We all have to start somewhere, sir. I was just letting you know that Sherwood is trying to get rid of books in their high school now. That's been on the reading list till now, and now parents are throwing a fit. No, for the love of the book. Wait, hold on. Now, where is, is where? Please to explain. Where is Sherwood? Uh, just next door to Tualatin. 
All right. So this is Sherwood High School or Sherwood? Sherwood High School. And do you know which books they are? This is parents agitating to get rid of books they don't approve of? Do you know which, uh, which books they are? The book right now they're fighting over is Grendel. Grendel? Yeah. They're fighting over Beowulf? Isn't Beowulf like 6,000 years old? Yes, but now it's too graphic and too violent for juniors and seniors in high school. For the love of God. All right, well. well but they're ha having a um, city discussion tomorrow night, I guess. All right, well, I was running out of things to be irritated about, so I'll, uh, I'll look at it. Thank you for the heads up, sir. Yep. All right, thank you, my friend. Here's, uh, here's Tim Riley. Speaking of reading, I have the book here, Ghost Radio by Leopoldo Goat. That is, a, uh, that is a gift from our friend Dan at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Thank you so much, Dan. This is the first on my summer reading list. Now, I don't know anything oh, about that reading. book. He, just, he dropped oh, it off. It's terrific. And I read about this. He said he felt that you would enjoy it. Yes, it was written by a guy who worked at a small town uh, radio station up in Canada. So it should be very good to read. Uh, by the way, we are uh, we're going to be updating the As Heard on the Rick Emerson Show table one of these days. I don't because I don't think Radio Waves by Jim Ladd is currently there, uh, and that's uh, the best book I've ever read about radio. Oh, that book is amazing. It is depressing I, and beautiful and amazing. I recommend it to everybody. I recommend it. there was a uh, I won't so I won't name it. There was a uh, 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 let's say an up and coming uh, an up and coming colleague here at CBS Radio Portland who was sitting in my office and just asking my uh, asking my thoughts on radio life, the universe, and everything. And uh, and I was saying you got to read this book, Radio Waves by Jim Ladd. It lays it all out. I mean, really, when you you read the book, it's called uh, Radio Waves: Life and Revolution on the FM Dial, by pardon me, by Jim Ladd, who is actually still now a DJ. He's actually he's the nighttime DJ in KLOS uh, in Los Angeles. And when you read it, it really does lay out the good and the bad, the alpha and the omega, the up and the down of the radio industry. I uh, Dan brought uh, this book for me. I am going to begin reading John Lennon: The Life. By Philip Norman, and this is actually this is just recently. I think it just came out this week, actually, either this week or, the, or last week. Uh, and it is, um, I, I mean, it is purportedly the definitive, the be all end all, the final word on the life of John Lennon. Uh, so it's called John Lennon: The Life by Philip Norman. So I have not begun reading it now. Well, not, that's as thick as War and Peace. I mean, it's massive. It's yeah. huge. It is. Let's see. I mean, it's hardcover, but still. It is uh, 812 pages long, uh, so my wife's going to be gone for two weeks. So uh, it, when I'm not just busy carbo-loading uh, out of a cardboard box with a cheese packet, I'm going to be reading this book. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, getting back to uh, cheesy movies from the 50s, yes. this is the uh, 20th anniversary of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and they're putting out a uh, DVD set in commemoration. I think Chris Paddock either has an advanced copy of that or is on a pre-order for that, for that DVD set. 20 years, really? Joel Hodgson is now 48 years old. There he is with Craig T. Robot and Tom Servo. Oh, God damn, I'm old. All right. Did you watch Mystery Science Theater? It first, yeah, when it first came out. It, w it was the water cooler thing to talk about when it came out. I got to tell you, one of the best... I can't tell you, I mean, back in, uh, I would say, maybe the, maybe the early to mid-90s, how many conversations I would have with people where that was like a thing that bonded you. Even if you didn't have anything else in common, you would have that whole discussion about Mystery Science Theater. And then there was the inevitable. Just like a Ginger versus Marianne or Han versus Luke, there was the whole, you know, are you, are you a Joel fan or a Mike fan? I, myself, appreciate both. More of a Mike fan, I'm interested. So that came out of a, a beat-up UHF station in Minnesota. And here's the great thing about Mystery Science Theater is, you know, early on, that show really spread via word of mouth, and they used to yep. run this thing in the closing credits that said, uh, it said, keep circulating the tapes, mm -hmm. because they realized that a lot of people weren't able to see the show, and there was no... VHS tapes. Exactly. And, and there was and you know, people did. No file sharing, no, uh, you know, there was no, like, uh, you know, the bit torrent or anything at that point. So they would just say, keep, and I think the lawyers actually made them take that phrase off the end of the show at some point, you know, keep circulating the tapes, and then Comedy Central squealed about it. But, but there are places, you know, even now online where you can find, you know, the entire collection except for, and this is the, um, this is the sort of tantalizing thing. 
you can find compilations online that are every episode of Mystery Science Theater going all the way back to when it was a public access show in Minnesota, except for three episodes that don't apparently exist anywhere. And it's unclear if even Joel has copies of them. The word is that he may not even own them. So I'm always, I'm always really sort of, that really captures the imagination when you hear about three episodes that are not believed to exist anywhere. Because the great thing is, you know they exist somewhere. You know, and that they're just a gold mine waiting to come. You know, they're in some guy's garage right now waiting to be unearthed. And after so. Joel left the show, it wasn't the same anyway. See, and I will respectfully differ with you. I will say that I am more of a Mike Nelson fan myself. Now, All right. don't get me wrong. Uh, I respect that. I'm just saying it's a big country, Tim. Mm. Uh, room for both elephant and jackass. Yes. I am the jackass, of course. I'll be the jackass. I don't care. I'm going to make a note to myself about something. Hold on. Tim Riley, I'm sorry, but in no world you can ever be the jackass. I, I take that back. Those nice I don't know things. how that slipped out of my mouth. <laughs> um, the uh, What was I saying? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I appreciate all different eras of Mystery Science Theater. Yes. Uh, Mike Nelson, little, I'm a little bit more of a Mike guy because his comedy's a little, um, a little snarkier, a little meaner. Uh, Joel is more of a whimsical kind of comedy, but again, it's, it's all great. I will say this. Uh, Mystery Science Theater reminds me of classic movies from the 50s, and sometimes bad movies, sometimes cheesy movies, sometimes movies that are good and bad. So you know what I watched last night? We started watching it on Halloween, and then we uh, it, it accidentally got deleted off the TiVo, so we had to rent it. We finished watching the original Fly from 1958 with mm-hmm. Vincent Price. When is the last time you saw the Fly, the 58 version? A couple of years ago. God damn, what a great movie that is. Yeah. I mean, it's a Lara had never seen it, and I'd seen it several times, but not in about 15 years or so. I have to tell you that original version of the Fly with Vincent Price and I think David Addison is the guy's name. No, that's David Addison. That's uh, it's Bruce Willis from Moonlighting. Michael Addison, somebody Addison, Addie Addison. I can't remember. Addison St. Addison. I don't know. That original uh, version of The Fly, though, is still unbelievably creepy. I mean, and it, it is, uh, and I would say it is very dark and graphic, especially for something that came out in 1958. I, I can't even imagine how traumatizing that was to audiences of 50 years ago. It really is a deeply unsettling film. So, uh, in any event. All right, there you go. You can check out The Oregonian. Uh, or, I'm sorry, The New York Times. That's a mistake everybody makes. Would I be handing you a copy of The Oregonian? No. All right. <laughs> Not even now while well, that's still possible. Um, no, a copy of the uh, of the New York Times. This is from uh, this is from Sunday. Big you article about that. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, by Mystery Science Theater 3000. Excellent. Here's Tim Riley. Miley Cyrus's dad is inviting America's newest first daughters to appear on one of the Disney Channel's most popular shows. Billy Ray Cyrus says that Barack Obama's girls, 10-year-old Malia and 7-year-old Sasha, have been offered a guest spot on Hannah Montana. And they say they probably will show up. The invitation is there. Miley, the star of Hannah Montana, says she wasn't sure if the Obama girls received the invitation. But she noted, quote, I think it would be really cool, and if anything, to have them visit the set. Barack Obama had previously admitted that Malia is a big fan of Hannah Montana. Uh, by the way, somebody just sent me this article from the Oregonian. Um, blah, da, da, blah, da, blah. Grendel retells the story of Beowulf through the eyes of the monster. Blah, 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 blah. So I guess um, I guess it was a group of busybody, tight-ass parents who were leading the charge to have it banned. All right, have fun with that. Here's Tim Riley. Well, Keith Overman will remain at MSNBC. At least through the next presidential election, the announcement comes less than two years into Mr. Olbermann's current four-year deal. MSNBC tore up his February 2007 contract, reported to be worth $4 million a year, wrote him a brand new one, and gave it to him. It is valued at $7.5 million a year. Mr. Olbermann will continue to anchor Countdown and co-host NBC's 
Football Night in America. Reinforcing his value to MSNBC, the network says he'll play a permanent role in all major news events. Well, he really is. I mean, Keith Oberman is the closest thing they got to a franchise on that network. Um, I can't. Right now, can anybody here name? Well, you probably can, Tim, because you watch it. Um, I don't think I could name. Is MSNBC, is that Chris Matthews? Yes. All right. I can never remember that. I get. I think, like most Americans, I never know the difference between MSNBC and CNBC, ever. Oh, see, NBC is mostly money. Is that Susie Orman? Yes. All right, okay. So, but I mean, he's the closest thing they got to a brand on, on MSNBC, because there's really nothing else there to speak of. Not like Chris Matthews really packing in the viewers at this point. Mm-hmm. Is that where Joe Scarborough is? Is he MSNBC? Yes, we're going to get to him in just a minute. Fantastic. Well, good for well, Keith you know, What else they're doing well with is uh, Rachel Maddox, or whatever her name is, Maddox. Oh, is that that chick that you should be on She looks like Matthew America? Broderick. Yeah. yeah, no, I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I right. guess she's doing good. All right. So getting uh, back to this Joe Scarborough thing, apparently he hosted a program called Morning Joe. And, well, he was retelling a story that his coworkers told him around the water cooler. Sometimes we do the same thing, but we always remember to take out the words we can't say on the air. Yes, we do. And sometimes we're so relaxed we forget we're on the air, as happened on this occasion. So Joe Scarborough is uh, speaking to his panel and lets the F-bomb slip. Good for him. And uh, Richie has assured me that he has taken that word out. No, we did listen. It's not here. All right. We so did listen. Imagine. We did listen. Cool. Use your imagination where you hear the little spot with nothing. So and the funny thing is he doesn't even realize he did it. And those are the worst kind, too, because right. sometimes that's that's when we've had profanity on the show and we're just, like, talking to each other. And it's like, oh, I can't believe how, you know, effed up right. that is. I mean, and we very rarely swear on the show. I mean, the three of us. Um, I mean, Sarah has done it a time or two. I've done it a time or two. I don't think... I don't think you've ever said anything that was actually profane, although that one time you were saying the word, like, shift. Yes. And it came out uh, as something else. I heard else. Tim swear today, by the way. Well, for I, the first time ever. Really? I, I have, I've known Tim for six years, and I have never heard him. I, I, six and a half years now. Holy were you God. quoting somebody else? No, I was trying to make it clear to Richie what word I wanted to be removed, so there would be no <laughs> lack of understanding. Okay, but it's, it, was, it was still in a journalistic no, but it was, sense. But yeah. I mean, but hearing that word come out of Tim Riley's head, I mean, come on. No, it was, uh, it, was, it, it was pretty surreal. Was it like watching a dog play the piano? <laughs> it totally was. <laughs> All right, here's Tim Riley. So anyway, let's listen to this clip. And the funny part is, he doesn't realize he said it until everybody, st- you, you'll hear the murmuring in the background, and then his co-anchor brings it up, and then finally... He convinces himself, I guess I did say My it. God. Right. So here we go. Okay. Uh, the nature of this campaign has really been the, the, the steady nature of Barack Obama, the steady nature of David Axelrod. These are good, decent, steady men that don't go around flipping people off or screaming you at the top of their lungs. I, I didn't use the word. Uh, <laughs> oh, let me call a timeout. Yeah, Did there I? you go. Yes. Not I may have been the one on Ambien. If I actually no, said the you, word instead, did I say the word you, or you did I say what James Corden said? You meant to say the letter. Almost. No, clarify and apologize if everyone heard the letter. Jay Carney had told the story earlier about a conversation. Didn't use the word, but it was off air. And Yeah. Fine. Okay. Apologize. Move on. So I okay. repeated. So great apologies if I said the word instead of the letter. My wife if is going to kill me when I get home. So I'm going to go get some soap. Uh, <laughs> so that's what you get for telling political stories. That's fantastic. Can you play that again? Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Scarborough saying the F word. The whole word. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, the nature of this campaign has really been the, the, the steady nature of Barack Obama, the steady nature of David Axelrod. These are good, decent, steady men that don't go around flipping people off or screaming 
you at the top of their lungs. <laughs> I, I didn't use the word. Uh, that, that is so great. Yeah, Did there I? you go. Yes. I may have been the one on Ambien. If I actually said no, the word you, instead, did I say the word you, or did I say what Jake Coyne said? You meant to say the letter, but we should clarify and apologize if everyone heard it. That is right. Jake Coyne, you told the story earlier about a conversation. You used the word, but it was off air. Yeah. Fine. Okay, apologize, move on. So I okay. repeated, so great apologies if I said the word instead of the letter. My wife the unlikely is event that he said the word. <laughs> when I get so home, so I'm gonna... That is, that is great. It's Actually, classic. I really, you know, the thing is, I dig Joe Scarborough. I, re I really do. I don't I watch him all that often. He's one of those guys that I, you know, one of those guys you don't seek out to watch. Like, I don't have the TiVo set for Joe Scarborough or anything. But any every time he's on and I watch him, I'm always glad that I do. He, he seems to, although here's the thing. And I know that everybody has this happen uh, with somebody, but this is my thing with Joe Scarborough. For the life of me, I cannot place exactly who it is. I was I was kind of joked that he looks like the Penguin uh, in the old in the '60s Batman show, but it, he sounds like somebody, and I can't quite put my finger on who it is. His voice is exactly the same as somebody's. It's just outside of my uh, my brain's uh, my brain's ability to do region. I can't I can't quite come up with it. Um, two things. Back on. Tim, you saying uh, that this is Tim uh, earlier today saying that's okay. I'll be the jackass. Yeah. I was talking about the elephant and the jackass, mm -hmm. and you said that's okay. I'll be the jackass. That prompts this thought that I've written down. It looks like a long thought. It's a whole legal page. Well, this is my whole matrix. But inside this matrix, Tim, is just one observation slash question I'm going to ask. Mm -hmm. Remember we had the discussion a while back about uh, you know it, it's like a fifties thing where you always see the guy who's a little lit at the party and he's putting the lampshade on his head and you know, he's had a few and like hey look at me I'm a lamp. You know, when he puts the, you know, when he just takes the lampshade and sticks it on his head, and everybody goes, "Oh, that Dave, what a card." Um, so here's my question: Another thing that you always see depicted, and it is in things from the '50s, often cartoons or little comic panels in the '50s. Guys go into a costume party dressed up as a horse. One guy is the front of the horse. One guy is the back of the horse. Is that a thing that actually happens in real life, or is that a thing that is only depicted in like cartoons from 50 years ago? Have you in your life? Ever seen people in a two-part horse costume? I have not. It sounds like something from a Marx Brothers movie. Sarah? No, I have not. See? But we've all seen... I've seen people in, like, mascot costumes, but no, never someone who's trying to, you know, place the horses out. You know, but we see we've all seen that in a cartoon, and usually it's like a Fred and Barney kind of discussion where they're arguing over who has to be the butt of the horse or whatever. I think that's a thing that doesn't happen in real life and has never happened in real life, only exists back then. So, all right, I'm just making that observation. Oh, by the way, here's something that never happens in real life. I wrote this down. This is actually, I wrote this. This is what I do with my free time. I wrote this down at 9.53 last night. Speaking of guys dressing up in two-part horse costumes, which only happens in the, the movies and cartoons, never in real life, here's something that only happens in photographs. Never, ever, ever happens in your real day-to-day -day existence. Only in photographs. Do people, for no readily apparent reason, lean against a ladder? Never in your life have you just decided just to kill some time. What shall I do? Well, I could sit down. I could go to the corner store. I could get a malted. I could watch it. No, no, no. I'll lean against a ladder. But you know what? In every senior high school yearbook set you've ever seen in your life, there's like a third of those kids leaning against a ladder in some sort of a photographer. You know, and they're in the photographer's studio with a dazzling white background, and then there's just a ladder stuck in the middle of the shot, and there's like... You know, high school prep guy at leisure, often with a jacket slung over his shoulder, leaning against the ladder. That never happens anywhere but in a photograph. All right. I just felt it was important to note that. Here's Tim Riley. 
This headline says, Code Names Revealed the Secret Service Gives the New First Family. Let's see. Obama will be known as Renegade. That's pretty great. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Michelle, a woman of many talents, will be prefer, uh, referred to as Renaissance. Malia Obama's name will be Radiance. And Sasha will be Rosebud. All ours. Rosebud. Renegade and Renaissance. Mm-hmm. I have to say right now, I mean, I don't know what the code name is. I think this is a cover story. Avoid. Well, because, well, first of all, you, I can't imagine they would give out the real names, would they? That's what they're doing here. But see, but that's, but see don't you think that's just a bait and switch? I mean, that can't be real. That, that's got to be, those have got to be diversionary names. Because the secret, what is the point of a code name if you didn't put a press release? Hey, by the way, here's our top secret, uh, here's our top secret code words that no one can know. Because I think the whole point of that is so the Secret Service doesn't have to say President Obama is staying in room 519. They can just say renegade. And that's the, here's the other reason you know that those are made up. Because they're just too good. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he seems like a very stylish man, but... Renegade and Renaissance. Right now, there's somebody at Dark Horse who's putting together like a uh, you know, like a comic book based on the adventures of of like secret agents Renegade and Renaissance. Well, what about Sasha Rosebud? Rosebud is a little weird. Hey, can I can I ask you this about Citizen Kane? I don't know there, that much about it. Really. You've seen Citizen Kane, yeah, though. Yeah, plenty of times. All right, so I don't I don't know that much about it. You've seen it, yes, a million times. Moving on, does it bother you when you're watching Citizen Kane? That the entire movie is predicated, it's like this whole inverted pyramid of a film. The entire movie is predicated on this whole search for Rosebud. What is Rosebud? Who is Rosebud? Why does Charles Foster Kane utter the word Rosebud at the moment of his death? Does it in any way bother you that it's impossible for anybody to know he said it because no one was in the room? I mean, what is that about? Is it allegedly the greatest film in all of, uh, in all of cinema. It is predicated on something that's impossible. There was nobody there. It's not like he had some sort of Watergate-esque secret taping system. No one knows he said Rosebud. Why would they be searching for a thing they don't know he said? That is a good question. You don't really care. I can tell. Here's Tim Riley. Because I'm sitting here surfing the web. <laughs> yes, you're busy, you're busy checking your stock portfolio. I it's true. No, I know where my stocks are. I don't want to look. Uh, one of the Super Bowl's most loyal advertisers is still on the sidelines about whether or not to huddle in with other companies, shelling out big bucks to market products during the big game. FedEx says it's concerned that during tough economic times, when asking the employees to do more with less, that spending millions on 30-second spots would be viewed as wrong. The international package giant has advertised its services. International package giant. That's what it says. Here. That's what I want to be known as. Super Bowl champions. They're highly anticipated because of their comical themes. The Wall Street Journal says companies that have advertised in the past have definitely passed at airing spots during the game in 09, including GM and Garmin. What's Garmin? I don't know. What's Garmin, Sarah? I don't know. I got nothing. Among those airing 30-second spots are Anheuser-Busch, CareerBuilder.com, which is where that story came from, above Marriage Network, Hyundai Motors, Paramount Pictures, Cars.com, and Coca-Cola. i got lots to say about this. One is, just on the FedEx tip for a moment, do you find this thing of when companies absorb other companies, and then there's, you know, the, it's like a chick with three names. There's one company, and then there's company two, and then they become company three oh, with a FedEx, hybrid. FedEx Kinkos? But see, it's not even FedEx Kinkos anymore. They took that away? I think it's now called something. First, there was FedEx. Kinkos. And. Ked. No, Kedex isn't funny. Um, 
first there was FedEx, and then there was Kinko's. Then there was FedEx Kinko's. Now, I believe FedEx is still FedEx, but I think Kinko's is now called something altogether different. I think there is now... A, I think Kinko's is entirely out of the name, for one thing. Uh, I think that's been dropped altogether. It's like John... Well, it was kind of a foolish combination. Well, but it's like how there was John Cougar, and then there was John Cougar Mellencamp. Then now it's just, you know, now it's just John Mellencamp. Um, so I think now FedEx Kinko's has become some altogether different name. Also this, back on this business of uh, companies dropping their advertisements from the Super Bowl, I think it's a bad idea because that is an American tradition. It's a thing, speaking of the water cooler and saying the F word, mm -hmm. it's a thing that everybody, I mean, you know, it's, it's such a cliche at this point, but that's the reason you watch the big game is to watch all the commercials and talk about them the next day. Don't you feel like if there was, if there was like a noticeable absence of commercials from the Super Bowl this year, don't you think that would actually do more than almost anything else recently to shake the American confidence? I mean, if you just turned on the Super Bowl, if there was just like a PSA, like or they were playing a game, or, or I mean, if it was just like you know, if instead of going instead of going to commercial, if it just went to like that, went to the Indian head thing, like some that, elevator music. That's what I was just thinking, and that's very sad. You know, we'll we'll take a break during the big game. We'll come back after this with more right here on CBS, and then just go to the Indian head, and it's just a lot of like. You know, the girl from Ipanema starts playing or something. You start cutting back on commercials during the Super Bowl. That's when people are going to know. That's when people are really going to have some weird Howard Beale meltdown. You can lie. Americans can deceive themselves about all kinds of things and about how much money is left in the bank and how, how solid and stable their country is. You start pulling ads out of the Super Bowl, everybody's going to know the jig is up. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Or they're on PSA is like the lost cat magnet. That's what I want to see on the Super Bowl. <laughs> San Diego versus New England. Brought to you by Andrew Hoffman. All right, here's Tim Riley. A meeting held at an exclusive resort in Phoenix is attracting a lot of unwanted attention. For one of the groups uh, reported at the uh, 2008 Asset Management Conference was AIG, once again coming under harsh scrutiny for having executives at the Point Hilton Squaw Peak Resort. They still call it Squaw. This after the insurer was the recipient of more than $85 billion. This is before they got $150 billion extra. They report the list of those attending included the CEO of AIG's advisor group as well as several senior vice presidents. As part of the three-day event, former NFL star Terry Bradshaw was to, supposed to speak, but his appearance was canceled shortly before the conference. Bradshaw's usual fee, $40,000. AIG Who would pay $40,000 to have some old football players speak? AIG claims that of the total of $343,000, which was the cost of the meeting, product sponsors are underwriting 320000 of it. So that leaves how much? 23000 The company also said Bradshaw's fee was to be paid for by a sponsor. In response, the CEO, Edward Liddy, issued the statement saying, quote, Recent news reports have grossly mischaracterized an American uh -huh. international group seminar for 150 independent financial planners held in Phoenix. He goes on to say the planners are not AIG employees, and the cost of the company is minimal. I'll be back with more lies as soon as I write them. I was going to say, first of all, on the Terry Bradshaw thing, do you suppose that there was just no one else available? I mean, that's like when you're at page five. You know, like, I can't wait to book my reservations. Terry Bradshaw is speaking. <laughs> it's like Norman Fell wasn't available. Just go right, right to that guy. Terry Bradshaw, by the way, who has, I mean, just one of the weirdest hairdos, only in that, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, he, he has gone bald, but he's kept that, He's kept that Picard fringe, you know. He's got like the, you know, like the, like the, like the fringe around the top of a Surrey. So he's got that, but then he doesn't cut it. It's all, it's very weird. It's like he's bald on top, 
And then he's got the halo of hair around the side of his head, but then he lets it get all weirdly long. I mean, it just looks it looks very odd. Uh, also, this I haven't opened it, so I don't know what's inside. But I know that yesterday in the mail, I did receive a big package from AIG, like a big, like like more than a letter, but less than a box. It was it was like sort of like a largish envelope from it AIG. It was a calendar, half a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I have no idea what even. I almost don't want to open it. Because the idea of what would be in a letter from AIG at this point is a almost a calendar without months. It's more, it's more, it's more comedically satisfying than the, the, probably the, just the pathetic reality of whatever lurks inside. Just do one call, then we'll break. We'll come back. Don't forget, coming up later on, uh, CNN Radio course by the Jim Roop. Talk to Don Taylor from Film.com, Nita Parker from TMZ. We'll do the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of Sarah Dillon's Life and more. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, no Richie today, huh? Uh, he's back there somewhere, but presumably uh, busy with things that are of much greater importance than screening. No, he's here. He's taking swear words out of things to put on the air. He's busy editing out Joe Scarborough's potty mouth, sir. Well, that's what I called about, actually, is uh, Joe Scarborough. Uh, I think he looks and sounds like Bill Pullman. Do we have... Can you play that back, Tim? Do we have that Scarborough sounder? Because he... He has a squinty eye thing going on. He does sound like somebody, and I can't quite put my finger on who it is. I'm going to go get some soap. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't hear it. Not to get for telling political story. A lot. All right, well, we'll let it roll here. Whenever I watch him, I just... All right, like Bill well, let's let it roll. Uh, the nature of this campaign has really been the, the, the steady nature of Barack Obama, the steady nature of David Axelrod. These are good, decent, steady men that don't go around flipping people off or screaming f*** you at the top of their lungs. I didn't use the word. <laughs> In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. Well, he's got too much of a southern draw there. I didn't recognize. No, I'm not feeling it, sir. All right, how about his squinty eyes? He's got the same squinty eyes. I could see that. No, he does. And the look. Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's gonna bug me until I place it. He does look very much like somebody I know. I just uh, it's just right out outside of my peripheral mental vision. I can't quite get it. Fair enough. All right, thank you. All right, best sure. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Rick, how's it going? What's up, sir? Hey, man, it's uh, FedEx office now. FedEx office. Yep. So it's no longer. So it was Kinko's, then it was FedEx Kinko's, now it is FedEx Office. Yeah, it took me a half hour to figure that one out. All right. Well, it's like how everything is like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft Blue Screen of Death. All right. Thank you. Yep. One more, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What up? Hey, I was calling about the, you were just talking about Terry Bradshaw, and there's yes, a movie indeed. with him and Matthew McConaughey where he plays Matthew McConaughey's father, and he has a naked room, and you actually <laughs> have to see Terry Bradshaw naked. Uh, front or back? Uh, not full frontal, but uh, back, yes. Do you see, is it like, do you get a side view? Uh, I think you actually do see uh, full body from the back side. What movie is this? Uh, I can't remember what the name, I was trying to think of the name of the movie. I came through like halfway into the movie and accidentally saw that part. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, uh, you know, I have no problem with male nudity. What's, what's good for the goose is good for the gander and all that. It's just interesting when it sort of catches you off guard, and the best example that I can come up with is the, uh, you know, it's the example that everybody uh, who was there in, uh, like, 1994, 92, remembers, that Robert Altman movie Shortcuts, where suddenly, out of the blue, you see Huey Lewis's penis. I mean, and it's like a, it, I was going to say it's a long shot, it, but I mean, it's a lingering, I mean, you see Huey Lewis's member for, I mean, I'm thinking a good 30 seconds. So and it's, is, oh, it's impressive. Is it worth, is it worth oh, checking out? Oh, it is, uh, I, it's, I can tell you, they filmed that in, the, they filmed that in Panoramic. I mean, Good you know what? No, it's a. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Uh, all right, we got a break. Back after this, more from Tim Riley. 
Uh, coming up later on, Nina Parker, Don Taylor, Top 5, Greatest Songs Ever Made, and more of your phone calls. Stay there, won't you please? Who's getting email from some guy in the Colbert Report? That's for all of us. Uh-huh. Whatever. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-3970. 503-733-3970. Coming up later on, we'll talk to Don Taylor from Film.com. Jim Roof from CNN Radio Los Angeles. And the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of Sarah Dillon's Life. Life, life, life. We still, we still got, like, Jesus, Keek Watch, Bush Watch, uh, Cannibal Watch. Uh, lots of calls to get to. Uh, you're listening to KCMD Portland, by the way. Let's. That's uh, because we're everyone's favorite choice for entertainment and amusement, Sarah. Hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is it me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Oh, hi. Uh, I think I know who sounds just like Joe Scarborough. Okay. Joe Biden. Mm. All right. I don't have a Joe Biden soundbite handy. Can you play a little bit of that Joe Scarborough thing again, Tim? People off or screaming you at the top of their lungs. I didn't oh, I can hear that. Uh, <laughs> let me call a timeout. Yeah, Did there I? you go. Yes. I may have been the one on Ambien if I actually said no, the you, word instead. Did I say the you, word? A little bit. Maybe a younger Joe Biden. But we I, think they're, I think they're both actually from Pennsylvania, so that would, that would in fact make sense. Good catch, sir. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> like that. That's what I do, Rick. All right. I also hey. have an idea for a top five. Uh-huh. Uh, a few weeks ago, you said that uh, the, the songs go through uh, like five stages, where it's like they're a big hit, and then they're. Um, uh, it is. They, a, they it, just, uh, I actually can't take credit for this. My friend Joni DeRosha came up with this. She okay. said that every iconic song or band uh, or performer goes through four stages: uh, popular, uh, ridiculed, ironically, you know, uh, kitschy. In other words, ironically enjoyed. And then acknowledged as classic. So a perfect example is Bee Gees. Uh, hugely famous, then despised, then loved by hipsters in a kind of kooky, ironic, sarcastic sense. Now just acknowledged as legends. But what you should do is a top five list of songs that are just right now on the cusp of becoming recognized as legends. Ooh, the good ones. So songs that are leaving kitsch and entering legend. Yeah, I was thinking like the Rick, a Rick Astley's uh, Never Gonna Give You Up. Mm, that's, totally. That's a perfect example. Look at you. All right, excellent. A good one, sir. I'm going to write that down. And I, sometimes I say that and I'm lying. Sometimes I go, uh, Rick, I got, a, I got an idea for uh, for the thing you should do. And I go, that's really, really great. I'm going to write it down. Not really writing it down. I am writing this down. Hold on. Top five four-stage songs. All right, excellent. Well done, sir. This has been a fantastic call. Yes, thank you. 
Thank you. All right, I have a Joe Biden clip. About you guys want to go back to back? Just do like a brief comparison. We'll do some more calls and we'll plunge on with the news here. Okay. Don't go around flipping people off or screaming you at the top of their lungs. I didn't use the word. Let me call a timeout. Yeah about Barack Obama in rallies and on TV before now, see, now it falls and apart, all the I... things that they're saying right now mm. after the debate. Well, I can kind of hear it. Maybe. I said, don't go around flipping people see, off. See, maybe younger Joe Biden. At the top of their lungs. 20 years ago. Yeah, because this is like, yeah, 20 minutes ago, Joe Biden. Yeah, no, I can see that. All right. Uh, I'll do a few more of these, then we'll uh, continue with the news on KCMD Portland. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, guys. Hey. Rick, I've got the name of Matthew McConaughey, Terry Bradshaw movie. It's Failure to Launch. Failure to launch. Oh, is that where he's the dude living at home with his parents or whatever? Right. Is that what? Get rid of him. Yeah. Okay. Is there Jessica Parker as well? Yeah. yeah. And then and then and then Terry Bradshaw is his dad. Yeah, it's, it's All watchable. Right. All right. No, I can see that. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Oh, uh, you bet. Every All time right. you say Terry Bradshaw, that's funny because. Sarah Jessica Parker's in that movie, but her character on Sex and City is Carrie Bradshaw. So every oh. time you keep saying Terry Bradshaw, I keep thinking Carrie Bradshaw. Like what? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, is it me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Oh, hey, I'll try to make this quick. Uh, I just uh, I usually wouldn't call out to try to mention some stolen painting on your show, uh, but this one's such a unique piece. I was wondering if I could just take a minute and like throw my MySpace out there just in case. Sure. Yeah, I, uh, go ahead. Cool, I appreciate it. Well, I had this painting stolen last week from the Crown Room in Old Town, I know, but uh, it was a painting of an acrylic painting pretty large, about 24 by 30-something inches of a guy exploding with cigarettes, the painting, but it was a huge wooden frame that was completely encrusted, and what I mean encrusted, with real cigarettes. Well, Sarah, that, that picture is amazing. Yeah, I've, I've seen what you're talking Sarah, about. Sarah, yes, yeah, she knows the, the painting. Now, it was just... It was. How would they? I mean, obviously they did, but I mean, how would they even steal something so big? See, that's the thing. It was. It was the highest painting up in the show, actually. So they would have had to climb to a onto a table to get it. Is there a, a photograph of this, sir? There is on my MySpace, which is uh, www.myspace.com. Obviously, uh, boy and his dog, all one word. Boy and his dog. Yeah. All right. And so it's it's, a, it, it's in my heart folder. I, I'll put it back as the main picture. MySpace.com/slash/boy and his dog, and obviously you are a boy and his dog, and you are just looking for uh, you are looking for the return of the painting. Just return, no questions asked, or a tip if uh, if right. I'm not going to get it back to maybe confront somebody. It's just the kind of thing where like a uh, couple friends of mine went around all day collecting all those cigarettes, and it's pretty gross. Just so I can make that frame. Well, and then, you're stealing you know. stealing somebody's uh, like some piece of art is just wrong. That, that's yeah, that's a new low. That's a special place in hell for this. Seriously, that's bad karma. Well, you know, and it's. Like uh, not the, just a, one one other thing. I I just I found out the other day, and uh, I didn't even know. I uh, somebody told me the other day, the Emerson Starship got all their stuff stolen, their instruments, oh, uh, which I didn't I didn't know. Somebody told me that yeah, I guess after a show, uh, somehow I guess in the changeover time as they were tearing down, somebody stole all of their gear, which is just like when you're a band, this is like the worst thing ever. So uh, all right, um, MySpace.com/slash a boy and his dog. Yes, all right. I'll put the picture up when I get home from work as my profile. All right, no, it's not. So. Excellent. Thanks, Rick. Best show ever. All right, good luck, sir. All right, here's Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. How sad. The Yellowstone Club, an exclusive mountain retreat for the ultra-rich, has filed bankruptcy after failing to secure new financing. This is 13,000 acres in Montana's Gallatin Mountains. It boasts a private ski hill and golf course. It opened in 1999 and counts Dan Quayle as among its 100... Uh, Thirty members. That's the best they can do. It's, I, I suppose so. They're called. It caters to the ultra rich, and certainly he's a wealthy man, I would imagine. But that's the best they can do in terms of a marquee. No, no, no. Dan Quayle. It first ran into financial trouble when Tim Blixat, 
sought to expand even as the real estate market turned south. The problem grew after the Blixess allegedly diverted money meant for the club for their own use. Look, I mean, look, say I have class issues, say that I have a uh, weird... He bought a chateau in France, a golf resort in Scotland, See? a villa in Mexico, and a state in the Caribbean. Don't Please, I get... somebody help him. Don't I, I was going to say, don't I speak for everybody when I say F that guy. Uh, F him uh, relentlessly and without mercy. Uh, say that I have any sort of an issue with uh, with money in the classified America or whatever, but if you have a business where you are quote catering to the super rich and Including you can't Dan Quayle. and you can't make a go of it, tough luck, pal. Get a get a job. Where I come from, they uh, they call that hard cheese. So, all right. Well, it's sad. The rich and famous have one less place to go now. Yeah, well, I'll try to sleep tonight. A 22 year old is the youngest World Series of Poker champ. He's a Danish uh, poker professional. He won the World Series of Poker early. Poker. Poker. Turning a wheel straight on the last hand to become the youngest champion in history of the No Limit Texas Hold'em event. Peter Eastgate hit the ace to five straight on the turn and instantly called in an all-in bet from Ivan Demonsday on the river to win the title and $9,152,416. The previous young champion was an 11-time gold bracelet winner, Phil Homuth, who was 24 when he won the tournament in 1989. Phil Homuth, who was sort of the, he's he's kind of the John McEnroe of the uh, the poker world. All right, well, I don't know one from the other. Uh, Quick little story here, only a couple of sentences, but I think it gets a message across. A grieving widow in Brazil was killed by her husband's coffin while on the way to bury him. The hearse in which 67-year-old Marcina Silveira Basilos was traveling was hit by another vehicle en route to the cemetery. The hearse was hit from behind, causing the coffin to slam into the woman's head. Her husband, Jose, had died of a heart attack the night before while at a dance. Wait, wait. Uh, what, did, what, what, what did she die? What ailment did she die of? It started with coffin. No. A severe head injury. See, that's not... <laughs> You're Are you serious? You're regular Steve Allen. <laughs> you made magic regular, with those words. <laughs> Trying to find something funny. She died of blunt force trauma to the brain. Okay. Here's Tim Riley. Should I read it again so no. we have a second shot at it? Let's never read it again. Okay, let's move along. A couple has been arrested for having sex on a crowded train. Other passengers en route from Liverpool to London appear to be embarrassed. Well, they sat in embarrassed silence as the 41-year-old woman allegedly committed a sex act on her male partner. The pair was arrested by police on arrival at Aston Station. Officers uh, were called after a guard on the Virgin train spotted the couple on closed-circuit television. The businessman, Gregory Sim, has been charged with unacceptable behavior. Well, uh, and then, then the unnamed woman from Essex has been bailed out. A spokesman for Virgin Train said the session took place at 2.45 in the afternoon. The man is charged with unacceptable behavior on a train and is due to appear before the magistrates soon. Well, good for them. Don't uh, abide by the man's rule. Unacceptable behavior on a train. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hi. Yeah, this is Don. You guys talk about being spoiler-free on shows. Yes. Rick, uh, Tim just gave the results of the poker tournament that hasn't been shown yet. It isn't shown until 8 o'clock tonight. Oh. No, it was a robot who won. <laughs> the, here's the thing, though. He really, the poker play, he's really dead the whole time. That's the thing. That's what you don't really know. Well, there's no point. ESPN's probably marking you guys off their list because 
He just gave the results. Okay. Well, to be fair, did they send out the press release? If they sent out a press release, it's not our fault. I mean, yeah. To be to be fair, I don't. I think Tim just read the story as it was uh, as it was relayed to us by our news yeah. service. Well, I'm just saying. Never I, intentional and, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, sorry about yeah, that. It's not, it, yeah, it's not shown until 8 o'clock tonight, man. There's no point watching. <laughs> but look at, I mean, but we, look at all the time we've saved you. Today, Chose's fellow sitting here with a big stack of chips. You could be reading a good book. Well, I will. Now. I'm trying to make a half out of a half knot. I, well, I'm sorry. Know. Well, now's a good time to go to Powell's, isn't it? I mean, really, I, uh, you know. Uh, look, sir, try to make it about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, Tim had a good point, Rick. It's, it's time to go to Powell's, maybe. Get some reading then. Exactly. Maybe when you, you could go buy a book. Hey, okay, let me just, I'm going to help you out. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Here, I'm going to help you out, sir. Now, do you, do you, now I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Are you okay with this? All right. I, if I were you, I would go to Powell's Books, 3415 Southeast Cedar Hills Boulevard, where Hall and Cedar Hills Boulevard intersect. Now, perhaps you're not really going to be able to, uh, you know, to see this game tonight with the same kind of excitement or the childlike enthusiasm or naivete that one might have had we not unknowingly revealed the outcome. But you know what? You can replace that with the shared love of both reading and the game known as poker, sir, by picking up a book called Poker Nation by Andy Bellin. Andy Bellin, A-N-D-Y-B-E-L-L-I-N, wrote Poker Nation after he was introduced to the high-stakes underground world of poker speakeasies in Manhattan. He then wrote a book all about the rise of poker culture in America and what it means as both a sport, uh, as a forum for male bonding, and in, the, you know, in terms of being a reflection of the American character. The book is Poker Nation by Andy Bellin, available now in paperback at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. What you fail to understand is that I'm a shut-in, and the only joy I get out of my life is by watching poker. Now I know the tournament, and it's just, you know, I don't know what to do now. So you've been I'm building up to this for, like, months, right? And then it was just inadvertently well, no, see, they played the tournament, and they gave it a three-month span so they could have everybody watch on the specific night. So this is really like, this is like screwing the ending of Dallas, uh, you know, but like a year before, you know, JFK even gets shot, or JFK, JR, who shot JFK, uh, before uh, JR even gets shot. Let me ask you a couple questions here. I apologize if these are awkward. Uh, now, when you say you're a shut-in, a, no, I'm are, just kidding. I was going to say, oh, you're okay. I was going to say, are you making that up to screw with me? Yes, I'm making up to screw with you. Right. Well, <laughs> this is not for the We have a couple actual shut-ins who listen to us. So, uh, yeah, but, but see, they, they're the most loyal. Yeah, the tournament ended in August, oh. and then they gave it a three-month break. Wait, so let me understand this. Are you, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Again. Now, see, now I'm back to not feeling any sympathy. September, are you in fact complaining that we revealed the outcome of a sporting event that happened three months ago? No, no, listen to what I'm saying. The tournament was played and ended in August, yes. but they brought the eight finalists, the eight top players. They waited three months to promote it, and uh. they're pl they played the tournament, the final game today after a three-month break to get the maximum amount of viewers. You mean the tournament where that oh, – I was going to okay. give his name again, but right. I don't remember his no. name. I couldn't spoil well, it again if I wanted to. All right. So, well, so, so the final game was today, and it was going to be televised tonight, but not doesn't matter anymore because now we know who won. All right. Well, uh, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to go out with a poker – I was trying to go out with a poker pun there, like, uh, you know, uh, like, oh, how about this? How about this? How about the – what does Worm say in Rounders? Uh, Sometimes, uh, let's see, in the in the poker game of life, uh, Rick Emerson is the chop, sir. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, well, we can't seem to take it too bad. Well, I mean, 
Look, wasn't intentional. How do I know? <laughs> I mean, really, I can tell by the... Sometimes when Tim is reading a story, I can tell that he absolutely... He does nothing about it at all, and nothing in the story makes any sense to him whatsoever. Well, I you to read it. And i got to admit that I haven't watched the World Poker Tour for a long time. It's been probably a year since I've watched that show. Well, that's how selfless Tim is. Like, none of us have any interest in poker, yet no. Tim wants to provide for the people, and now he's being punished for it. I'll see, read anything that's put in front of me. And here's the irony. No limitations. The great thing about that story, by the way, Tim... Is And again, because sometimes Tim and I and Sarah will discuss news stories before the show. Sometimes we know some of the stuff you're going to talk about. Other things are, you know, stuff that you uh, at the uh, CBS... Most of the time a surprise, though. Right. At the CBS Radio News Desk, you have selected things for the audience. And, of course, speaking to our audience of men age 25 to 54... That's why this was chosen. That's the, see, that's the irony is, even not knowing anything about poker, you correctly surmised... Yes. That, that would resonate with our target demographic. And, in fact, it resonated so strongly it spoiled something they've been waiting 90 days to find out. And it prompted a caller to call. I'm sorry. Sir, I'm an ass. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, anyway, let's, I can read more about this, but I won't. Let's never read it again. And I'll put it aside. Okay. Uh, breaking news. Peru- is this, is this, are you going to ruin something else? No. All right, is this bad news? No, it's good news. Okay. Peru has offered the ball dog of the Incas to the Obamas. Peruvians crazy about their national dog, a bald and toothless breed, oh, popular with the Inca kings, bald. offered today to send the hyperallergenic puppy to the Obama family. Now, Barack Obama promised his daughters a new pet, but Malia, I'm a, I hope I pronounced your name right. I believe Malia? it is Malia. Malia. Well, we'll get this right. Malia, we have four years to do it. Malia is allergic to most breeds. Therefore... Speculation has been swirling about the dog the family will choose. Owners of the Peruvian hairless dog, a breed dating back 3,000 years and often depicted in pre-Hispanic ceramics, say it is perfect for kids who are sensitive to dogs. So they want to give this uh, puppy to Obama's daughter, and it's a hairless dog. I saw a photograph of it on Anderson Cooper. It's a weird weird looking dog. It's like some greasy thing with two ears. No, it's strange. It's like, did you ever see this? They do this every year. It doesn't cause any type of allergy, and they're friendly and sweet, <laughs> says the director of the Peruvian Hairless Dog Association. He says proudly, barn burner of a get-together they must have. The, uh, but you ever see that, that they do that contest where you have the world's ugliest dog? And, you know, and, the, and by the way, when they do that world's ugliest dog contest every year, the winner always is truly butt ugly, as they, as they used to say in my hometown. The, the winner of the world's ugliest dog contest is always just horrifying. And you really do have to look at the dog and then look within yourself and ask yourself if you could, in fact, love a dog that was that hideous. And usually the answer I have is no. Because it's always like got one eye and no teeth and it's covered in, like, you know, scabies. So, all right. Uh, here's Tim Riley. So, so much for the hairless dog. By the way, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting hate mail for the, for the guy who complained about the poker spoiler. Uh-huh. Uh, Rick, winner, I'm just saying. Uh, this says, uh, Rick, the winner and his, and his face have been all over the internet for hours. Tell that clown to go play solitaire tonight with his best friend. Uh, all right, well, I'm sorry. This one says, here's a spoiler alert for the poker guy. In the end of your life, you die, sir. All right, here's, uh, Tim Riley. New York Yankees star Alex Rodriguez was reportedly in the audience of Madonna's Los Angeles show, and now there's word the two may be heading to South America, perhaps to get a Peruvian hairless dog. The superstars were linked romantically during Madonna's recent high-profile divorce from Guy Ritchie. The Daily News reports the pop singer is touring Brazil, Chile, and Argentina next month and has reportedly invited the baseball star to join her. He has been uh, building a Kabbalah-enlightened school. 
Uh, I should say Madonna is doing that in Malawi, where that is. A source close to the situation says A-Rods reported $500,000 donation to Madonna's rising Malawi charity is, quote, greatly exaggerated. A charity spokesman declines to comment on A-Rods, uh, apparently, uh, giveaway of all this money. How would you like to be the president of Maldives? More than anything. Well, you may not want to be because oh. this island nation is sinking into the ocean. Yes, the new president uh, took his ceremonial sash today and uh, took the oath of office, but he may not survive his presidency. Apparently, this island is only seven feet above sea level and is considered vulnerable to the perils of global warming and rising sea levels. Do you ever look at an island and wonder why it hasn't just washed away? Yes. I mean, really, what is what is stopping an island from just sort of, uh, you know, from the sand all just sort of uh, dribbling away out into the ocean? Don't make any sense. I look at things like that and I realize how little I understand science. So this island may disappear shortly. Are we talking to Jim Roop at 115 or 205? uh, I have a story for Jim Roop. 115. uh, 115. I'm just trying to keep keep things in order. Uh, What radio station is this anyway? uh, It's KCMD Portland. That's what I think. Don't forget. So we'll talk to Jim Roop here. uh, Coming up next hour, we'll talk to Dawn Taylor from Film.com. We'll do uh, the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of a movie of Sarah Dillon's life. Uh, We will do Geek Watch, Bush Watch, Cannibal Watch. Try to do uh, the greatest songs ever made and uh, so forth. Oh, so I got a couple brief things. Let me do just a couple brief things before we move on. Uh, I'm glad that my wife is out of town for this reason, so she doesn't have to hear me say this phrase. We've been offered an interview with Maya Angelou. I am declining that interview. Who? So Maya Angelou. I rise. Oh. You know Maya Angelou. Yes. Right? Yes. She's the, isn't she, uh, didn't she the, uh, I I know why the cage bird sings woman. Didn't she write that? I so. think so. God, think, we're bad people. <laughs> didn't she say, uh, is Maya Angelou the one who said, speak your mind even if your voice shakes or something? I only know. Here's what it, what here's kind what, of advice is Oh, that? I like that on bumper stickers. Speak your mind. I was just going to say, here's what a tool I am. I love that phrase. Do you know all, look, I don't mean any disrespect uh, to Maya Angelou. Uh, and I really don't. Uh, I, here's the thing. I don't know any, I don't know enough about her to disrespect her. All I know about Maya Angelou, quite literally, I know from, you know, there's that thing, all I need to know I learned in kindergarten. All I know about Maya Angelou, I know from bumper stickers and radio station PSAs that I used to have to run in the late 80s. Uh, here's, here's I don't what know I, anything about Michelangelo. <laughs> we should ask her about the Sistine Chapel. Hey, Maya Angelou, tell us, tell us about painting. Tell us about sculpting, David. <laughs> You're a bad person. I always try to help. My, my. Maya Angelou's David. It's all just heavy. It's a, it's heavy-handed and raspy. Um, all I know, all I know about Maya Angelou, I know these three things. One, I see some of her phrases on bumper stickers, especially here in Portland. Two, uh, my wife uh, has some saying of Maya Angelou's, like written down and taped to the bedroom mirror, presumably to inspire her to do something or other in the morning. Uh, and then three. There used to be this radio uh, PSA that would run in the mid to late 80s. And if you listen to talk radio in the late 80s, especially in sort of the pre-Renaissance era, like in the pre-Rush Limbaugh era, if you listen to uh, like uh, like Myrna Lamb or if you listen to Dr. Joy Brown or if you listen to the Dolans, you would hear this PSA uh, that Maya Angelou, uh, it, it was like her reading some poem or some crap. And it was just all I remember was her just saying like, and blah da, da blah, I rise. And then again, ba 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 ba. I ri- all I remember is the I rise part. I don't remember if it was like her herself rising, like if she was getting like out of her chair, or like getting up in the morning, or if, if it was like a figurative rising. 
or if, 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 if it was like to motivate people to go buy stamps. I, I don't have no. I have no idea what the PSA was about. That's the extent of my Maya Angelou knowledge. So I am culturally illiterate in, in almost every way, in every way that doesn't have to do with dilithium crystals or midichlorians. So we have been offered an interview with Maya Angelou. Uh, we are, we we are in fact turning it down. So, uh, but I guess, but I think we might actually be talking to. Uh, we are going to be talking to the guys who made bacon A's tomorrow. Oh, that Here's, is good. So we're getting the interviews that matter. Here's Tim Riley. A singing Hannah Montana balloon and a flock of birds caused a power outage in a Miami neighborhood. The balloon appears to have scared 300 birds that normally hung out on a power line near the middle school. It's likely the birds knocked the line loose as they flew off hysterically. Power was out in a five-block area for many, many hours. All the birds survived. It's uh, not clear whether the pink and silver hun- uh, Hannah Montana balloon survived the attack. This comes from Los Angeles. Maybe we'll save this one from Jim, for Jim. Yeah, we'll have Ruben in about five minutes here. Okay, we'll save that for him. So let's get back to some of these uh, other stories. Believe it or not, Dick Cheney appeared in public today. He honored the nation's veterans after placing them all in peril and talking about his own uh, heroic military. Ex- uh, uh, Cheney placed a wreath trimmed with red and white flowers at the Tomb of the Unknowns and praised the military, which he never served in himself. No single military power in history has done greater good shown greater courage, liberated more people, or upheld higher standards of decency and valor than the armed forces of the United States of America. Cheney said the service of veterans explains America's liberty. There is no mystery behind the endurance and the success of American liberty. It is because in every generation, from the revolutionary period to this very hour, brave Americans have stepped forward and served honorably in the armed forces of the United States. Brave Americans like yourself, Dick Cheney. Mm-hmm. Talk about all the sacrifices uh, you made, please. Military service demands a special kind of sacrifice. The places where you live and serve, the risk you face, the people you deal with every day, all of these are usually decided by someone else. He makes it sound like it's a job at Walmart. <laughs> I mean, well, I no, you know. He's almost gone. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna rein myself in. It is Veterans Day, so I will be. Uh, I will not. I will. I will not have my usual snark about uh, Dick Cheney, Miss. Uh, I'll leave it to you. You just had enough for both of us there, Tim. So. All right. Well, we're moving along now. Ugh. All right. Uh, by the way, this email. This is from Kathy. Kathy says, "Thank you, Rick, for not interviewing boring feminist poets or any poets of any kind." Um, so I guess she's a, in the opinion of some, I guess a boring uh, feminist poet. How about this one? I'm just reading these, by the way. Don't. I am just the messenger. I don't know anything about Maya Angelou. This one just says, why does the name Maya Angelou make you laugh? Is it because you keep thinking Michelangelo? I don't know. I'm just in that kind of mood today. Really? Yes. Are you feeling, would you say, are you feeling more um, more giddy or more uh, silly? Perhaps a combination of both, and I think it's the weather. All right. <laughs> All caps. I hate Maya Angelou. Uh, this says, Rick, if you're going to write poetry, don't make it suck. I know you're not supposed to say this sort of thing, uh, this emailer says, but Maya Angelou is to poetry what Paris Hilton is to the craft of acting. When I hear Maya Angelou read a poem, I think, why do people think this is good? Or are they just supposed to think it's good? Or are they just pretending it's good? I don't really know. Can I tell you that I think that about almost every poem? Uh, every time there's uh, there's some sort of uh, like poetic work or some sort of classic piece of verse that I'm supposed to love, I find that most of the time... I, I, I'm just, it's not even that I just dislike it, I'm just sort of indifferent to it. And then I realize that I think most poetry, I suspect that most poetry is just flat out bad, but I think that poetry is different than, let's say, cooking, in the sense that 
Look, if you make yourself, look, you make an omelet and it's rancid, everybody knows, right? If you use bad eggs, bad cheese, and you let it sit underneath a sewer grate for three weeks and you try to serve it to somebody, they're going to go, well, this omelet tastes like ass. This is terrible. But with poetry, I think it's, it, it can be difficult to tell. And I think people are afraid to point it out when it's no good. I think people will like, they'll read a poem and it's, they'll go, hmm, well, I, uh, that is a very challenging piece of verse, isn't it? Which means that they don't understand it or don't like it. So I'm just not going to weigh in on things I don't understand. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, it is uh, 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, we'll do uh, the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of a movie star uh, about Sarah Dillon's life. Uh, and we got uh, Dawn Taylor from Film.com coming up later on. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. Hello, Johnny. What? That's... Thing, never mind. Okay, what were you? I could I couldn't hear you there. What were you doing? I just said uh, hello, Johnny. When I worked in Cincinnati, there was a guy who always got my name wrong every time I walked in the room. Hello, Johnny. Really? Yeah. Did, did, now, did he? Francis Patrick O'Neill was his name. Do you suppose he called everybody Johnny, or was that sort of? Uh, I think he was just an idiot. Um, <laughs> seriously, you you he you could you had to either call him James Francis Patrick O'Neill or JFPO. You couldn't call him Mr. O'Neill, James, Jim. Nothing like that. Doesn't JFPO sound like some sort of internet code for a sexual act you want performed <laughs> in a park late at night? But every time he'd see me, hello, Johnny. Yeah, Jimmy, I, that's I, right. I, you know, I, just be sort of a tall, tall, muscular dude seeks same for JFPO. JFPO. <laughs> <laughs> Discretion a must. Yeah. Oh, for the love of God. Uh, All right. Uh, hey, before we... So was this... Well, hold on. I have to, he was, of course, a radio guy. Yes. Because I mean that's uh, James James Rancher Patrick O'Neill JFPO here yeah we, we could he, never read live copy either always screwed up live copy when he would on the air would he would identify himself did he identify himself on the air as James Francis Patrick O'Neill or JFPO yes all right and so to the listeners he would uh, you know and he would go James Francis Patrick O'Neill here to talk to you about you know Econolux yeah. or whatever or, or JFPO here to talk to you about King Quick. Yeah. Um, I worked with a guy. Uh, well, see, I can't I can't even use his name but I, because I think he's still active in radio. But I worked with a guy, same thing. Same thing, long, weird, drawn out, obviously fake radio name. Demanded that everybody use the full name and then, of course, referred to himself, uh, you know, in the third person by that name. <laughs> Pretty much. Jesus. I think we've all worked with that guy from time to time. By the way, Tim Riley handed me a little bit of copy of this uh, Dayline Los Angeles from KFWB. It says, the sheriff of Los Angeles County... Plans to prohibit off-duty deputies from carrying their guns while drinking because several have been accused in recent years of firing weapons while intoxicated. You can't do that? Uh, apparently not. Maybe they, I guess that is a, that's an off-duty leisure sport that is now going to be uh, restricted. That's weird because uh, every cop I know is required to carry his weapon off-duty right. because you are essentially always a cop. Right, right. And I have been with many police officers who have enjoyed themselves immensely with adult beverages, and they have not once pulled out their weapon and fired it randomly or indiscriminately, nor did they aim it at anyone. Well, it seems a little weird, too, because if you, I mean, if a cop, if you're not, <laughs> pardon me. You all right? A little, uh, little cough there. Uh, it seems like if you're going to be, if, you know, the cops are not going to be allowed to have their guns while they're drinking. It seems like then if you're some sort of a, some sort of a hoodlum, some sort of a thug, you see a cop at a bar, you're going to know he's not armed. Uh, and I think a, a part of the thing about cops, right, is that gun is allegedly some sort of a deterrent to crime by its very visibility. 
Yeah, except when they're off duty, they're they're uh, concealed. All right. Well, in any event, uh, so just passing it along. Thank you. Uh, um, so we, we were just talking to uh, we were talking to Lisa earlier about the uh, about the economy, which is just we you know, and everybody sort of talks about uh, the economy and how it affects kind of full time workers and folks who have you know four hundred one k or folks who got you know sort of you know they sit sit around like Tim Riley watching their many uh, billions of dollars of stock investments go up and down and down and down and down and up and then down and down and down again, but. In all of this, I, you know, I get emails every now and again from folks who will say, you know, you're talking about the economy and you're talking about, you know, there's this bailout and how it's going to affect everybody. And they'll say, you know, they'll say, that they, you know, they're either temping somewhere or they're a part-time employee and they don't have, you know, they don't have the 401k or the retirement. They don't have health care. I mean, you know, folks who are out there doing however many hours a week, you know, with, without a lot of, uh, you know, without a lot of these benefits. Um, and and I know that the holiday season, especially, you know, the folks like that, you know, you can usually count on picking up extra hours. You can usually count on picking up extra cash working, you know, I would say from now through the end of the year. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's still the case. Are there more people kind of fighting for those gigs now? Yeah, there, from what I've been told by economists and even store owners, is that they are hiring less because they're going to play it by ear. Right. There are so many expectations of low sales. And if you go to the mall, you'll notice the malls have people, but they're not walking around with packages. They're kind of looking, right. waiting for the bargains to happen. So what used to be a season which would start last month of part-time seasonal employees hasn't even begun yet. So there are going to be maybe 40% less jobs, yet twice as many people than normal are going to be apl- applying for these mm. fewer jobs. And so employers are, are waiting to see exactly how much they're going to need once the Black Friday sales are announced, because they're going to announce the Black Friday sales long before the day after Thanksgiving, hoping to uh, to get people thinking maybe they'll go in and spend some money. So it's just it's a vicious cycle. It's it's a terrible thing to think about, but it's it's the worst it's been since uh, just after 9/11. I you know and I got to tell you that is uh, I remember after after 9/11 there was a lot of. And there was, you know, and a lot of credence to this too. I mean, this is very accurate in many ways. People said, people say, well, you know, 9/11 has happened. What, what can I do? How can I help? And I remember somebody at the time, I forget who it was. It might have been Rudy Giuliani actually, who said, he goes, you know what, you can do it. You can go shopping. Go spend money somewhere. I think that was a dumb thing. You know, probably a dumb thing to say. But I mean, but that was one of those. That was one of those things that they tried to sort of inject into the American consciousness right away of, of trying to, well, or you know, trying to, you know, at least not let the economy come to a stop. You know, they didn't, oh, I gotcha. they didn't, in other words, he was, I think his point was, you know, and obviously I think, I think it was Rudy Giuliani and obviously he wasn't trying to be flip about it, but I think their point was, this is going to be a big body blow to the, to the American economy in addition to obviously all of the horrible, you know, the loss of life and the, all of it, all of that stuff. But it was also a, a huge, a huge hit to, to American industry and economy, which then trickles down to people. And his whole thing was trying to keep the economy rolling and going and moving forward. And I think this year they're going to be, you know, they're going to be keeping a very close eye on those figures, on those holiday shopping figures, to see if things keep moving forward, and you know, and if they don't, exactly how far down they fall compared to previous years. You know, after 9/11 here in L.A., because they closed the ports for so long, uh, and they really limited the, the kind of cargo that could come in, that's what affected holiday sales right. here in the West. Uh, and I'm sure that trickled through the rest of the country because a lot of merchandise comes in this way. But then again, this year, too, and more so than eight years ago, the online industry is such that employers are saying what they're going to do is push the online uh, sales and just hire people for shipping right. in, in the warehouses. So it's 
it's it's a crazy time, and I, I don't envy anybody who's looking for a job at this point. And if you are, I mean, you've got to really compete for those jobs. You have to get in there and just don't fill out an application and wait for a call. You have to somehow make it apparent to your prospective employer, even if it's just seasonal, what sets you apart from the next guy that makes that person want to hire you sure. as, as opposed to the next guy. It's really tough. Well, you know, we got a, you know, we have a lot of people who listen to the show, as I said, who, you know, who are not currently in a job where they're dealing with 401K or retirement or anything like that. I mean, they're really just... You know, it's just, uh, you know, you know the, the covering the rent. And especially, you know, there is that emergence of the, over the last decade, the emergence of the so-called permatemp, which is the person who's theoretically hired to be a temp or a fill-in worker, and they're there at like 38 hours a week. You know, like just enough that, you know, the man doesn't have to give them uh, benefits of any kind. And, you know, those are the folks that really, really just take it in the shorts right about now because it's a, a, a finite pool of people, as you said, all kind of fighting for the same pool of jobs. Yeah, and, you know, that, that whole stimulus package that, issue that's going on and the bailout of the big industry or the big companies somebody said this and we you in fact it may even have been you that was talking about it it's kind of backwards instead of bailing out the big companies with billions of dollars more money should have been given to to the people right to spend that would have saved those companies too but as it stands they give us 300 bucks and what's that going to do? Well, you know, give it, I mean, I was talking to Lisa again a little bit about this earlier today, about the, the Federal Reserve now what actually I think is refusing to even list. They are refusing to identify the companies that are getting the bailout money because I think they know that it would open them up to a lot of phone calls going to like, hey, jackass, uh, why don't you spend the money more properly this time? You know, like why don't you not why don't you not blow it at the track this go around? I don't think anybody did that. Well, I, I think I, people paid their bills. I think well, but I mean, but I mean, I'm talking about in terms of like uh, in terms of some of these companies who just oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, the companies who were getting this bailout who just you know operated operated their business poorly and did not really follow you know the tenets of really what keeps a business solvent. And so I know the Federal Reserve doesn't want to identify them because I think they're just going to I mean, they're just going to get a ration of crap from people uh, about it. So as you said, I mean, I think the money would have been better the money would have been better spent. Uh, I mean, just putting the what do they say? Just a chicken in every pot or whatever it is they said. So there were some seven hundred thousand part-time seasonal jobs last year, and forty percent less. Let's just say half are going to be available this year, right. and twice as many people applying. Mm-hmm. Good lord! I will tell you this: just you know, the one job that's never going to go away. Uh, that guy who has to be the poor Santa at the mall who is there specifically to get his pictures taken with dogs. That guy's going to have a job forever. I'm telling you what, not just the mall Santa. I'm talking the pet Santa at the mall. That guy will never be fun. That guy, they'll probably need 10 of those guys at the mall near my house this year. So yeah, I, got, I got a haircut today, and they were complaining in, in, the, in the haircut place that they don't have any customers. And I'm thinking, why? People still need haircuts. And this is super cuts, man. This is a place that only costs you 11 bucks or whatever to get a haircut. How can people not be getting their haircut? That's... Is it that bad that we can't get our haircuts? Well, see, and and how do I put this? I I obviously don't want to diminish or or in any way sort of uh, you know I don't want to downplay any of the kind of the real whatever that's out there, the real kind of you know, sort of economic you know pain that a lot of people are feeling. To some degree, don't you though feel that when people make certain statements, that a lot of times people are projecting that or or exaggerating it kind of in their own heads except i was the only guy in there really i I mean i walked in and the person wasn't even at the counter they were in the back eating a sandwich and people still got hair though don't they yeah that's that see that's my thing and and it can't be she was complaining that they're tipping less because that's not what she said i mean there was nobody in there i walked in and no one was there 
You know, you want to do a sidebar uh, article about that, about, uh, you know, because everybody sort of talks about the, the, sort of the big ticket industries or, you know, the sort of mainstream jobs you think about. But, I mean, those sort of service industries, which are crucial, you know, in some way anyway, uh, but are sort of maybe on the periphery. You want to, you know, you want to do that. Find, you know, some other businesses that are sort of equivalents to like a Supercuts. And go see, you know, go see what's shaking. Go find a guy at a pawn shop and see what's up with him. So you would think, yeah, you would think that there are certain jobs that will not suffer. Right. You know, guys that work in grocery stores, uh, people who cut hair, mechanics, you know, well, actually mechanics are doing very well. People aren't buying new cars. Right, because they got to fix up the car they got. Yeah. You know? But but then again, but everybody seems to be suffering. Either people are waiting until the last minute, until they actually have to get that haircut to get that haircut. So instead of getting a haircut once a month, it's every other month. Um, I don't know. Or maybe it is that they're not tipping as much, or, or they're not bringing their, or they're cutting their kids' hair by themselves now, so they I, save that kind of money. I was going to say, I remember, you know, um, and, I, and I, look, there's a million people who had a, a million people who had a, a, a childhoods way worse than mine. So I'm not uh, trying to sing the song of poor me or whatever. But anyway, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, and. I did not get my haircut at, like, a place. I did not go to a barbershop or salon or whatever, the haircutting place, I think is all we called it then. I didn't, I did not pay to have my haircut until I would think I was 15. And I think at that point I was, like, vain. You know, I got, you know, a little bit, you get a little sense of vanity when you're a teenager. You want to look, you know, you care about how you look. And I think at that point I just flat out demanded it. But, I mean, my entire childhood, it was, like, me on this bad uh, on, this, on this bad wooden stool in the kitchen with my mom with these Sears Roebuck hair clippers. It's a racing nine-piece home hair Dude, clippers. totally. We and had one. The bad plastic, you know, <laughs> yeah. apron or whatever, and my mom just like, hold still. But seriously, every now and again, my dad would take me over to Jerry's Yankee Clippers for 25 yeah. cents. I got that standard, real close on the side, yep. kind of diagonal front cut. You know that Catholic school boys got oh, yeah. in every September. Yeah, you know? and then the rest of the year it was the racing nine-piece home hair trimming set. No, I did. That's it, man. And like I said it wasn't until I was, you know, wasn't probably until I was in high school, I think, that I just I flat out refused. I was like, I have to get a haircut where everybody else does. Quit, you know. And it was just. And my mom at one point, my mom. Was, I could see you sitting on that stool. Sitting in the chair, just miserable. <laughs> the towel Hold around on. your neck. Let's go around the room here, Sarah. Did you ever get a home haircut? Oh, yes. My mom would give my sister and I matching bowl cuts. Yeah. Sexy. They were awesome. Like, But it was like a bowl cut slash mullet thing. It's pretty magical. Tim Riley, home haircut? Most of the time, but usually I went to the same barber who had a picture of this menacing bear. <laughs> it scared me to death. And did the uh, did they, did, was it the barber, like the kind of old old guy barber who always has the same sort of corny line? So gonna be get, gonna be looking sharp today, or like which is like the one thing he says, but then he says it every time you see him for twenty years. So looking sharp today. I, I have Big a brother-in-law who who still cuts his own hair. Really? Yeah, he just got a mirror in the back, mirror in the front. He just. I mean, I remember. Uh, he I remember, has a cut for uh, a, tr- a truck for Coke, so he doesn't. Care. I uh, I mean, I remember sitting and of course my mom and again, she, you know, she, the family, you know, we st- stretched, you know, stretched a dime into a quarter or whatever that phrase is. But uh, you know, my mom never wanted to replace anything, and so we just used these same bad, terrible shears, these these electric shears from Sears Roebuck, forever. And I mean, way past the point where they should have been thrown away. And <laughs> it pulls I, your hair out, doesn't cut it. And I had, at least as a young as a young man, I had very thick hair. I mean, incredibly thick hair. And my mom, she would like tune that thing up and oil it and do everything she could. I, I remember more than one occasion where I would be sitting in the kitchen on the wooden stool, hating my life, suddenly going, God, I wish I was dead. B- bad plasticky apron. And my mom is cutting my hair with these Sears robot clippers, and it's that weird hot oil smell of, like, burning, you know, petroleum and hair. 
<laughs> and the Clippers being so old and my hair being so thick at the time, so even to think about this makes me cringe, that the Clippers would actually stop in my hair. My hair was so thick it would stop the Clippers. And so then you've got these Clippers that are jammed into your hair because the teeth have just gummed up. The teeth have just bound up in your hair. And then my mom's having to like basically brace a foot against me. <laughs> Hold on. Bite down on this rag. Don't move. Yeah! Pulling the clippers out of my hair and taking all the hair with it. And didn't you hate when they'd approach from the back and you hear oh. that click, and it wasn't really a click. Like, if there was, an, it was some sort of electrical arc you heard. Seriously. And, and like, you went, clunk, and oh, man. Here's another thing. When you got your hair cut at home, uh, if it was by electric clippers, two things. One, did you ever get, did you ever like the cheap-ass clippers where it's like they were so hot it was burning the yeah. back of your neck? Yes. What is up with that? Clippers shouldn't be setting your neck on fire. Oh, when I had to go through, they need a bush hog for you, apparently. God. <laughs> my mom, don't move. You're going to make it uneven. <laughs> She's like branding the back of my neck like I'm like I'm about to run in the derby. <laughs> Jesus. And then here's the final. I swear to God, I'll come. You've really tapped into some sort of a vein of repressed anger I didn't know I had about home haircuts. But, but I'm laughing because Dude, I was totally there. Here's the other thing. So my mom is there, and, and of course... And, and and she didn't want to give me a haircut a, a, any more often than she had to, so she wouldn't use the guard. She'd just cut it as close as she possibly could, right? And so I have this terrible, like, I look like I'm on, you know, like I'm about ready to be giving orders to Gomer Pyle. I've got this bad buzz cut, and I got a weird-looking head and a huge nose. So she gave me a buzz cut, and I'm just like, God, it's no wonder I didn't want to go outside. Just stayed in my room. Hey, do you want to come to my house and play? No, I look hideous. Look away. Feeling like John Merrick. I am not an animal. Seriously, yes, I am a human being. I am a human being. The, I am a man. Um, but, but my mom wanting to give me the closest haircut she possibly could, and so she would take the guard off of the clippers, and the clippers, like the teeth are sharp-ass metal, man. It's pointy. And so... At 200 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's burning the back of my neck, and then the worst part of the haircut, though, was this. She would come in to do the little edging, or like uh, over my ear, and she would just take the edge of the clippers, and it was like, I, I don't know, it, it, it's like she was, it's like she was trying to carve a piece of my scalp off. <laughs> and the edge of the clippers are like leaving like a trail of, you know, it's like it's like she's etching at an irrigation ditch above my ear. My man would always go, tough corner. <laughs> Seriously, I love people who think that the gag is is going to make it all feel a lot better, you know. Good God. All right. Well, hey, wipe that blood off, son. Now that we've spent 15 minutes talking about haircuts. Hey, it's all economics, man. It's all, it's all bad. My wife, uh, my wife sometimes accuses me of what she, uh, of having what she refers to as class issues. And I think we've just, I think we've just seen a little, uh, a little evidence that they're not entirely gone. Uh, all right, brother. You on tomorrow? You are beautiful. Well, uh, yes, I am. I'm only beautiful because I don't let my mom cut my hair anymore. <laughs> all right. Have a good one, brother. Thank you. And Jim Roop. Jesus. Good God, it's 133. Yeah, you think? Already? I'm sorry, Tim. We just talked no about haircuts for 15 minutes. Well, I you know, you know, everybody has hair. That is relatable. Hey, if you're on hold, and I know you are, I'm looking at somebody about Maya. Richie, you spelled it Mia Angelou. Uh, if you're on hold about Maya Angelou, or if you're the other guy on hold about Maya Angelou, or if you're on hold about Army of Darkness, stay there. Your phone calls in just a couple minutes, and then we'll get more from Tim Riley coming up later on. The top five don't go anywhere.
You're listening to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for joining us. Uh, coming up here in uh, coming up here in moments, we will have Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth, and we'll do today's top five top five songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence in the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. And uh, whatever. Uh, don't forget today. Two random on-air callers will each be winning a four-pack of tickets to Ski Fever, uh, along with a pair of lift tickets to an Oregon ski resort uh, on Friday. Uh, so we're going to do this all through the week. <clears throat> and then on Friday, one of these uh, winners is going to actually uh, win a, and I'm assuming it is pronounced new, not like GNU, like Gary GNU, G-N-U. Uh, it says a new snowboard, but I actually have to, it's odd because the brand is actually new, G-N-U, so I actually have to then, every time I say this for the rest of the week, I have to say, we'll win a new snowboard. That's new. G-N-U. It's all very Well, I would imagine it's a new new. It's an so, old new? No, it's a new. Stop it. You're just trying to, well, you're we're trying to confuse me. We wouldn't be giving away used prizes. It's spelled new. So it's a new it's, new. It's new. Spelled G-N-U. But you're making it sound like it's an old new. I'm not. Stop. Stop it now. You're trying, new you're new. trying to throw me off. You're, you're getting it out of my head. Uh, it's actually it's in Susan's office. It's badass. You should go look at it. Um, I mean, I'm not you know I'm not a ski guy, but even I can tell that it's great. So anyway, uh, so today two random on-air callers will each win a four-pack of tickets to Ski Fever, along with a pair of lift tickets to an Oregon ski resort. And then on Friday, uh, we're going to be doing that each day this week. And then on Friday, uh, one of those winners will actually uh, receive this brand new, new. <laughs> Snowboard. New, new. Uh, ski Fever, the Portland Ski and Snowboard Show happening at the Portland Expo Center all weekend long, November 14th, 15th, 16th. Friday 1 to 10, Saturday 10 to 10, Sunday 10 to 6. Save up to 70% off on ski and snowboard gear. This year's lineup includes ski reps at the latest gear, the Northwest's largest ski swap, exciting entertainment, vacation ski resorts, and all of Portland's best major winter sports retailers with endless opportunities. Go to PortlandSkiFever.com for more info. All right, Stu Calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, what's up, man? What do you got? A couple of things. Uh, yes, I remember that Maya Angelou PSA, and I remember the thing that annoyed me the most about it was just the tone of her voice. Well, and she just, she she's it. got that weird angular raspiness to it. All I really remember was the I rise, and it was all—it was kind of unnerving, actually. It was. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you ever saw it, but uh, David Allen Greer used to do an impression of her on, I think it was Mad TV. No, no, but I'm imagining it now as we speak, and it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it was really, really Excellent. awesome. All right. Um, one, uh, one more quick thing, uh, kind of off the subject. I, I read that book that you recommended, the In the Heart of the Sea. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> like wrapping yourself in a black shroud every time you open that book. It's a... It's hard to believe that something like that could actually happen to human beings. It is a great book. It's a true story, uh, In the Heart of the Sea by Nathaniel Philbrick. It's a great book, but one of those books, every night I would settle into bed, you know, and I'd get ready to read for a while, and I would open it, and I would just sort of go, because I was just dreading, I mean, in some ways, because it's so dark, but it is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. So much, though, I, it's so dark, I don't, I think I want to put off, yeah, I'm going to take a long time before I read it again. Right. So. All right, well, thanks for that. All right. Yeah, well, I'm glad, glad to help, sir. Thank you. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, I was going to ask you something about that uh, cartoon that, <clears throat> excuse me, led off of uh, led off uh, Army of Darkness the other night. Uh, rejected by Don Hertzfeld. Yes, and I want to, you know, in, while I was waiting, I, I got on Sarah's uh, blog and, yeah. and they're posted there. So, and, and Sarah, I met you a couple weeks ago at a uh, basement pub, and you were awfully nice. Oh, awesome. Anyway, um, poetry, great. 
Wait, let me understand this. So you, so you, this is sort of like comedians and comedy. So you like poetry, you just don't like the folks who make it. Poetry in a vacuum is, you know, this control. It can be an artful control of the language, which we all love. But when it's performed by like self-important, self-righteous, smug dorks, and it just well, you know, it's sort of like of it. you know what it is. It's sort of like how you uh, and I think I speak for all of us in this room here. It's possible to love radio and to loathe many of the people who create it. Well, that, and we and thus the circle is closed. All right, thank you, sir. Bye. All right, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Um, just want to extrapolate on what you and Jim Roop were talking about. Um, I just recently got a job through a job fair, and I won't say with who, but um, seeing how your show gets out to a lot of news organizations, somebody needs to do a piece here, especially during these times, on businesses that are kind of using the current economic uh, climate as leverage for um, kind of shady hiring practices. How so? How so? Uh, well, I'll give my for instance. Um, when I was interviewed for this particular job, I answered the ad for um, a position and got to the fair, scheduled my interview based on uh, my resume and my qualifications for that position. And then basically when I got there, it says, okay, here's what we have, bam. And it was three, like, entry-level positions. Ah, sort of a bait-and-switch kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, so, anyway, it is, I mean, and, you know, in times like this, too, there are a lot of companies, I think, that, um, that probably use – this economic situation as as an excuse to sort of do a lot of downsizing and streamlining they probably don't need to but and they can house cleaning totally if they can do it and then they can go no well you understand how it is with the economy and all as there as there's like a security guard standing over you exactly yeah. all right so anyway thank thanks. you thank you sir all right what was that Sarah? oh our guest is here so we've oh, got to well, get rolling well she can wait I we have Nina Parker at uh, yeah, 220 i said two o'clock don taylor's just gonna have to cool her heels all right. I'm just I'm, awesome. trying to multitask here. I'm trying to uh, trying to serve Got the people. Lots of stuff to get done. People who've called in. All right. Well, let's uh, go to uh, the news of Tim Riley. Then we'll do the top five more. Your phone calls, Don Taylor, all that on the way. Here's Tim Riley. And now, now. Though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Portland woman and her cat will travel to Hollywood and even meet Chuck Woolery. Simone Mickleberry is one of eight contestants from across this land who will appear on the Simone Mickleberry. That's right. She'll appear on the Meow Mix Think Like a Cat game show. What are you talking about? A Portland woman and her cat. Oh, she's from Portland. Okay, I missed that part. Will travel to Hollywood and even meet Chuck Woolery. Simone Mickleberry. Is one of eight contestants chosen from across the country to appear on the Meow Mix Think Like a Cat game show. Are you of the Tenasket Washington Mickleberries? Mickleberry and her pet Spooky D Cat were among 200 contestants who tried for the spot. She said participating in the show is an amazing experience. It includes round trip transportation to Los Angeles, luxury accommodations, even a king size bed for Spooky D Cat. With Chuck Woolery? Yeah. All right. I thought Chuck Woolery, I thought he was in Vegas. I thought he had a standing gig. I thought it was him and Jamie Farr and uh, it might be. Wink Martin. Maybe he's multitasking, though. I mean, he is He is Chuck Woolery. Oh, by the way, now everybody's telling me that in this snowboard thing, that it is, in fact, pronounced GNU. It is pronounced GNU. So a new GNU? Yes. New GNUs is good GNUs. Anyway. Hulu. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so yes, we will be uh, at the end of the week be giving away a brand new GNU. There's no way to not make it sound dumb. A brand new snowboard from GNU. Anyway, all right. Uh, here's Tim Riley. I hardly GNU her. An organ <laughs> was charged with assaulting a man. Yes, nothing. nothing. 
An Oregon resident is charged with assaulting a man from India whom he accused of being a member of Al-Qaeda. This sounds like a very intelligent person. On Saturday night, an Indian-born Kelso man asked a group standing outside a Longview casino for a cigarette. Longview Police Captain Jacobs and David Lee Caton of Klatskanai. Oh, I see. The, the uh, police captain, Jacobs, said Daniel Lee Ratton of Klatskanai yelled at the Kelso man, accusing him of being a member of an international terrorist group. Imagine that, standing outside some place in Longview. Well, Kelton then reportedly followed the victim to his car, reached through the window, and slapped him. When police tried to arrest Caton, he broke free and ran away. Officers used a stun gun to arrest him. He's charged with malicious harassment, a charge included under uh, Washington's hate crime laws. He's also charged with assault and resisting arrest. In Longview? In Longview. One doesn't really think of Longview as being yeah, a place. It's a of Al-Qaeda. I was going to say, <laughs> they want to take over our town. Like a festering snake bit of terrorist sensibilities there, Tim. Uh, British Prime Minister Gordon Brown says Britain will weather the financial global crisis. In his monthly news conference, he said, global solutions are necessary. And that is not going to make the difference. What you need is a coordinated strategy, and preferably a coordinated strategy across the world. Well, Sarah Palin says... She is refusing to rule out running for the White House in 2012. Who? She's Sarah Palin. She, she says God will, quote, show her the way. See, Sarah's just, uh, Sarah Dillon, is, you're just trying to make her go away by shunning her. She will go away. I'm just, well, I well, Her face is starting to fall. I think that by the time, yeah, I think by the time 2012 uh, rolls around, she's going to seem grievously sh- shop-worn. I, uh, That's my assessment, because I don't, I don't believe that she will have good running power, because she's, the gravity's going to take force of her. Well, and see, and... So you, I know you're I going go for the superficial route. That's why she was loved in this election, and that's why she won't, like, will not have that same love in four years. You're coming from the aesthetic angle. My thing is just also this, that here's the thing is people can't miss you if you never go away, right? Like Cher. That's exactly. Uh, and so, I mean, she's obviously such an attention whore that, I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but my point is she won't be able to stay out of the spotlight for the next four years. It, it would take discipline and self-control beyond what I believe that woman possesses to remain sort of low-key and out of the firing line until 2012. Because the thing is, she would basically have to go back to work and just continue being governor and, you know, rack up a lot of... I mean, really, strictly speaking, if I was her consultant, you say that you go back to Alaska, don't get yourself in trouble, don't get on camera, and go back and really, honestly, do a good job. Go back and make a lot of stuff happen for Alaska. Be a good governor and really get a lot of political accomplishments. And then in 2011, say, hey, look, I went back to work for the people... And here's what I did. Here's what I did. It was great. She's not going to be able to resist the pull of the spotlight, though. She's going to stay on camera, and we're all going to be sick of her in about 18 months, and she's never going to be heard from again. And then she'll end up in Vegas. So mark my words. She says the campaign didn't buy her $150,000 worth of clothing. I did not order up these clothes. The New York stylists who are already there and, and already orchestrating what the wardrobe should look like, just like they have people to, to figure out what the, the staging and the lighting and everything else. She wasn't the least bit demanding. What is patently false is that I ever asked anybody at this convention to go out and buy me anything. Okay. Yet she left on a plane wearing some old battered hoodie. Mm. (laughs) Well, L.A. Mayor Antonio Villagrasso was at the Watt Plaza in Century City congratulating everyone for the Class A office building installation of the Falcon Water-Free Urinal. The mayor is joined by Council President and Councilman Jack Weiss to talk about the brand new urinals in L.A. I know that a bunch of politicians talking about urinals easily lends itself to bathroom humor, but here's the bottom line. 
And it is the bottom line. We're in a serious drought, folks. We don't conserve on a large scale in this city. We could actually run out of water. And that's not funny. There are plenty of benefits to waterless urinals. Waterless urinals represent a conservation effort that will drastically reduce the amount of water we waste every year, while also dramatically reducing the water bills for the businesses that use this technology. Use a waterless urinal today. There are 540,000 urinals in the city of Los Angeles. I know that because Eric Garcetti counted them for me. Each one uses on average 40,000 gallons of water per year. Okay. I, we're going to do the top five here in just like 10 seconds, but how does a waterless urinal, is it just like a hole? I mean, it's just like a <laughs> no, seriously, dry up. It's like a panel I just open and like right into the, right into a I, hole I, on the ground, and I, then I, the panel slides shut again. Well, people have been u- using waterless urinals for years. They call sidewalks. I guess that's what I mean. Is it basically just is it just like a bucket with a retractable lid? Well, this is the first time he's been to Skid Row. All right. Yeah. Leave it. I should have asked tomorrow. We're going to ask Roop about waterless urinals. All right. Uh, coming up uh, in a short while, we'll talk to Don Taylor from Film.com. Uh, we'll talk to Nina Parker from TMZ and uh, more of uh, your phone calls. This, however, is today's top five. five. Four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to. Uh, Don't you? All right. So, I what I thought was a really great idea Monday night. No, Sunday night. Sunday night. Sunday night. I was driving along uh, with my wife, uh, and we were going to the Trans Siberian Orchestra. And I was uh, on the uh, on the radio. Uh, came up uh, "Monkey Man" by the Rolling Stones, one of the great songs of all time. And, I, and it was dark outside and kind of, you know, windy and a little bit of fog. And, and I was thinking to myself, hey, this would make a great se- song for, like, some sort of a car chase sequence late at night. Why not involve myself? Why not put myself... Why not me, Why not then... Uh, why not rejigger this so it becomes completely about me? Uh, and so I then created this top five of... The top five songs that would accompany a car chase sequence in the movie of my life. But I didn't really think that same way. So no. a listener called in yesterday and was saying how we would... We were going to do the opening music for the movies of our lives. So these are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credit sequence to the movie of Sarah Dillon's life, except as I understand it, each one of these listings you're going to do here is for a movie of a different genre. A different genre as if I was living in the genre to which the movie was made. This is either going to be the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. There's it's a lot of thought involved here. Really, it just is, <laughs> it's just so multi-layered and passionate right, already. So what I did is I didn't, because, you know, unlike you, I'm, I'm not full of myself for Emerson. Oh. So I had to, well, I didn't really know exactly what to do with this. So I decided to put myself in the movies and my perspective of how the intro would be playing if I was a part of a movie that matches the music. Okay. It's a little... So here's your top five. These <laughs> are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of the life of Sarah Dillon. Honorable mention goes to George Thorogood. Bad to the wow. bone. Now this would be my movie. Fail. No, if I picture this, this would be me in a version of, um, like a female version of Wild Hog. And this is the opening. All right, so I picture it. This would be the story of my life. Where I'm a rough and tumble thug from the wrong side of the tracks who drives a motorcycle really, really fast and wears lots of black and an American flag do rag with a pair of aviators. And I'm just driving back into town from a road trip I went on by myself, of course, because badass people don't need nobody. Well, that's true. Yes. 
This is me riding back into town in the opening credits with the wind blowing in my hair that isn't tied down with the do-rag. Now, is Drew Barrymore playing you in all of these movies? Let's picture Drew Barrymore playing me. She has a speech impediment, you know. I guess I heard that she talks out of the side of her mouth, yeah. but I've never known. Yeah, she talks like a stroke victim. I just want to excuse to play George Perfect. It's the worst one ever. So now I am picturing you not just as a motorcyclist. I am, in fact, picturing you as that motorcyclist in the mist uh, who is like a big badass with a huge knife and then ends up having the top of his, of his body eaten by that thing. That's right, Rex. So if this was the kind of person I was, and this is the kind of movie I want to be in, this is the song I was No, 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 no. You know what I'm picturing? is Since this is you as a, as a badass motorcycle rider or motorcycle mama, I'm picturing you as Faye Dunaway in the video for Into the Great Wide Open by Tom Petty, uh, where you're sort of on the motorcycle outside the club. Oh, God, can we move forward? I can't even take this song anymore. All right, these are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. Number five, 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 MXPX Responsibility. What genre is this? Now, this, Rick Emerson, would be my teen angst movie, and I would open it up. Um, it's like where I go to high school and I learn my lessons of life in high school and what they mean to me before I head off to college. Right. So this opening montage would feature a crazy party with tons of drunken teenagers wandering around with keg cups, making out, throwing up in corners because the parents out of town. Where did that come from? Oh, this must be the video. Um, and it would be a speeded up montage, building up to a scene where the school bell rings, and you're like in a Donnie Darko thing where all the kids run into their classes. Right. I is love this, this song. Is this responsibility? Too. What's that? Yes. Yeah, I know this song. I love this song. I couldn't find anything but the video version that has a bunch of random. Sounds like there's a sword fight happening. Think about it. So this is like your can't hardly wait. This is my teen angst song, yeah. And a lot of us trying to think of opening montages. You know, truth be told, I don't really know what the story of my life is going to be like. Rick, I'm still, I'm still in it. All right, then. These are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits to the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. Number four, Queen, Radio Gaga. Excellent. Now, this one, this one's way out there, okay? Because this is the story of my life uh, when I would work in radio, but the radio industry is getting smaller and smaller in this fable, and I've been hired and fired and rehired too many times to count, and just when we always think things are going fabulously, we end up getting fired again. Even though, um, and while we're working in radio, we have to have separate jobs as well as working there because the amount of money we make working is hardly enough to cover our bills. So it's fiction. Just in some, like, fictional story. <laughs> some alternate reality. Yes, I mean, this would in no way be like my life. <laughs> no, it has totally nothing to do with how, it, how life actually no, exists. I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom. I'm picturing the Touchstone logo for some reason. You know, where this is playing and then there's that little, like, the blue line and then bing, Touchstone. Well, this is just, I'm so disattached from this because I don't see how anyone can live their lives like that. Who could possibly, who could possibly wake up every day going to work in such an unstable industry? Never knowing if each day is your last. No, I know. This one I was a little too far out, but I just had to do it. Imagine Films presents a Brian, Brian Grazier production. And what's your Drew Barrymore in. Drew Barrymore. And the movie would just be called Radio Gaga. I'm surprised there isn't a movie called Radio Gaga. So this is like your uh, truth about cats and dogs. It's a weird, awkward, mutual... That I watched with my mom. Which oh, then no, awesome. yeah, you don't want to know. No, a, no, that's she's a, that's like, oh, I love this movie. We're watching, like, oh, no, bad. I really got to say that at this point, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a good movie about radio. There really are no good movies about radio. I mean, there's talk radio, which is crap. There's FM, which isn't very good. Seems like sitcoms are more successful. The only good movie about radio is that Kevin Bacon film, Telling Lies in America. That's not a bad film. That, uh, you know, it's not about radio. Big radio elements of the movie. That's pretty good. All right, these are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of Sarah Dillon's life.
Number three, David Bowie, Rebel Rebel. Wait, is this... Is this yeah, your... Yeah, guess what kind of movie this would be. Is this your life story? It's told as a period piece set in the 70s? Well, this is when I'm kind of a washed up, uh, washed up rock star. And okay. this is the opening montage. We can tell that I'm still kind of out of control because, you know, all my people are around me. They're eating breakfast, but of course, you know, I'm still swigging like they're enabling out of the you. bottle. No, no, they're not enabling me. They're just looking really uncomfortable and oh, I look really dirty and disheveled. I've been drinking whiskey in the morning, so you can tell. But um, throughout the course of the movie, though, I'll learn how to respect myself again and get clean and ultimately accomplish all my dreams. And then this, I want my dream to be the oldest contestant to ever win on American Idol. All right, so uh, I'm, in, I'm envisioning this opening credit sequence. It's like going into a diner. See, and, and, and I'm picturing the diner, and then I'm picturing the camera, long, slow tracking shot. It was a boogie night uh, shooting. And yes, and I'm visualizing close-ups of like ashtrays and wadded up napkins with phone numbers on them. And uh, half-stubbed-out cigarettes, Bloody Marys with celery sticks in them. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and then, of course, the obligatory montage of, like, cakes being put on the griddle. <laughs> and then it's like you in a booth <laughs> slumped over and drooling. <laughs> it is, yeah, you can still tell it's out of control because drinking whiskey out of the bottle. And at one point, I picture your friends actually passing a drink over your slumped body. <laughs> Wonderful. I love this song. Top five songs that would accompany the opening credit to the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. Number two, Meatloaf. What about love? This is the weirdest list ever. It's an excuse to play all the songs that I love. This is my favorite song off of Bad Out of Hell 3. You know, okay. You're the only person to ever Monsters. say that. No, Aaron Geek from the City would say it too. All right. All right, so this would be the story of my life. Um, this would actually be my romantic story, circa the early 90s, that tells the tale of me as a young girl from a wealthy family who meets a boy from the wrong side of town, of course, uh, who everybody warns me about and says it's trouble, but I don't listen, and instead I meet him in a secret abandoned mansion that has candles and a big flowy bed and flowers <laughs> everywhere, and he has to wear a mask because he's slightly deformed, but it's okay because I love him and it's the that <laughs> You're the best person who's ever lived. In this movie, of course, it's always nighttime. Yes, it's exactly like every meatloaf video ever made. Everything's covered in a blue light that comes from nowhere. Oh, yeah. And, of course, I'm picturing you're meeting in this big house that's kind of in the woods. But it's one of those mansions from like a um, from a meatloaf video. You know, it doesn't have any doors or windows. It's always like blowing through wind. Uh, and I'm picturing that the house is, in fact, hardwood floors, but no furniture except for the bed. I mean, hardwood floors and an empty house with blowing gauzy curtains where the doors would be, and then like a huge four-poster in the middle of it, and then rose petals all over the floor. That's exactly what it is. And like, yeah, candles, half of them burned out and are like melty everywhere. And then also in my head, this is awkward, in my head there's a, you know, there's of course a, like a, not, 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 not a sex scene, of course, but like a love scene where like you and the, you and, and the guy are like sort of holding each other close in the bed, but then in my head, Meatloaf actually walks in front of the camera and begins singing. And then leaves it. Oh, like he's telling, like he's telling my story. Yes, exactly. Sort of like how Springsteen appears in High Fidelity. The best list ever. You're listening to KCMD Portland, by the way. Uh, These are the top five songs that would accompany the opening credits of the movie of Sarah Dillon's life. Tim Riley. Number one, Sticks, Mr. Roberto. Yes, me and Mr. Roberto. Mr. Roberto, can you come fix the toilet? All right, so last but not least, this is my movie, If I Was a Robot. 
So this is my movie about me as a robot, and in this movie I have to learn about love even though I am a robot and robots do not have hearts. So I lose one of my robot friends and I have to venture up from my robot underworld to try and find him on Earth, and instead I find love with a human, but it's hard because I don't have a heart, so I have to teach myself how to love. Also, this doesn't have to be a true story. Oh, no, it really happened. Is this where you're the robot that wins the world poker tour? What a what a weird song this is. Odo have been in the room when he was pitching this song to the rest of the band. So you're a, you're a robot that has to go out into the world and you have to learn to love. Yes, this is from my perspective. So yes. Um, I lived in the robot underworld, but then I lost my robot friends. So I have to go up to the human world, you know, they don't really know. And then Do you, you know, forget that you're a robot at some point and begin to think you're a human? You know what, Ricky, let's have to find out. This is just the opening This is the trailer. Yeah. It's just, okay. I am the modern man. I'm picturing, of course, uh, the obligatory assembly line sequence where you are being put together by a series of, uh, you know, of like uh, robots. You know, and they're sort of like welding panels together, and there's like the little, that little screwdriver thing. You know, the power drill that comes in the air drill. And then it's got like a weird 80s font. Yes, I can see that. But it has to have a, like a montage where it goes a little quicker than it should. And then the final sequence of this opening credit uh, part is like your face being welded on, and it has the long pull-out. And then it ends with like your eyes lighting up and your head tilting to the right, like kind of cocking your head a little bit. And then I go bit. off on my adventure. Totally. Excellent. Well done. This is a great list. I don't know what goes on in my head sometimes. Tim, are you already excited to do yours tomorrow? I am. I, I already have like 30. <laughs> tomorrow we'll be doing the top five songs that would open the uh, that would be for the opening credit sequence of the movie of Tim Riley's life. Wonderful. Well, there we go. Uh, Richie, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson uh, Studios, Dawn Taylor. We'll undoubtedly have... Uh... Trees keep playing this until she comes. Why not? Let's never quit playing this. I love sticks. Whenever I drag people over to my house for uh, late night record parties, I always come on sticks. And then, uh, and then, Tim, I've got a, I've got an exciting announcement later uh, about which you will be very interested. I'm gonna re- now I'm gonna reveal something later that'll be very exciting. <laughs> We've ruined about. Tim forever with the Richard Quest no. story. All right. I am the okay, you have to quit playing this now. It's uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, entering the studio now, Don Taylor. Hello, Don Taylor. Hello, uh, Rick Emerson. You can stand or you can sit. It's oh, your choice. That chair's kind of, uh, it doesn't really go up any further. Well, that's okay. I'm we, not very tall. We can't have nice oh. things. So. That's <laughs> they take Tina, them away from now, us. Now, Tina Yather sat on that stool if you'd like to sit on it. But it no, is I a, like this. I feel like I'm like at the kids' table or something. All right, let so. me uh, go ahead and pull that down and get the gear. There right we go. There. All right. How are you today? I'm swell. How are you? I am fantastic. Here, Sarah's a fantastic top five just now. I did. I was. By the way, there's a cheesecake in the break room. Sweet. Oh, is it regular and still cheesecake? two old donuts. Um, it's one of those little things that comes from like Fred Meyer or something that's cut into different styles. I'm not much of a cheesecake enthusiast, but I'm told by those who are that any cheesecake is good. I declined the cheesecake, but uh, the KUFO people have been like zipping in and out. And... Well, they are DJs. Uh, let me uh, let me ask you this. Uh, so, in the movie of your life, Don Taylor, what is the uh, song that accompanies the opening credit sequence? Well, I was thinking, I think it would be like me uh, driving like a Dodge Dart in the rain with the windshield going. Maybe some kind of really moody Danny Elfman, uh, you know, kind of orchestral sort of thing. All right. And you are on your way where? Um. Oh wow. Uh. Venice, California. Okay, excellent. To begin life anew. Exactly. You're a woman who's trying to out, outrun your past, but your past is about to catch up with you. Exactly. Excellent. All right. Uh, so we'll back, we'll back up a, a bit. So obviously, we, you know, there's a whole sort of, 
we have this whole kind of contrary circle of what film nerds. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a, you know, a whole bunch of these. Uh, obviously, uh, Aaron Duran and Scott Daly, who mm-hmm. are sort of our, uh, our in-house movie reviewers here from uh, Film Fever Radio. There's Mike Russell. Uh, who does some stuff with Court and Fatboy on KUFO. And then you, uh, for a long time, you'd uh, written for the Tribune, and then now you have moved on to film.com, correct? That's true. Right. And I have actually appeared on Court and Fatboy as well, Excellent. once or twice. So, yes, it's all very incestuous. All right, so, uh, yeah, then it is that thing of, like, where every time you go to a, a movie premiere, a screen of any kind, it's like you're going to, about 80% of us will be there. Um, so, so you're, but you're writing for film.com, and so, and, and are you just doing, before I kind of tell the story that led to you being in the studio today, so you're doing regular movie reviews, or you're doing special reviews? What are you doing there? Um, I'm reviewing DVDs. Right. They decided they wanted to bump up their DVD uh, review side, and uh, a fellow that I used to work with uh, became the editor of the DVD section, and he brought me on, and, uh, and so now I'm uh, I'm part of the uh, Real Networks family. I got to tell you this that uh, we are approaching a time I think in the in, in the American uh, film world where things are going to be released simultaneously in the theaters and on DVD because mm-hmm. it's I'm uh, what is the last Tara, what's the last movie you paid money to see in the theater? I can't even remember. See me either. Well, I think uh, yeah, but usually the last one I saw was you know the original Batman, but that was at the Baghdad and like three dollars. What did I? What is the last movie I paid money to see? All I remember. Oh, I saw uh, that Chuck Palahniuk one. Um, choke. Choke. Yeah. You paid for that. I paid for it. Yeah. All, right. all, uh, all I can remember is whatever I saw last. The, the had the trailer for um, had the trailer for Beverly Hills Chihuahua in front of it. Wally. I think. <laughs> I don't think I've paid to see a first run movie in the theater since Wally. So I'll go, I'll go see the really big ones if I want to see them really pretty, right. like Cinetopia and HD. Like right. I, I, I paid to see Iron Man. Yeah. I think I saw Batman Begins, but but mostly I get to see everything. I want basically for free being a film critic. So it's just so difficult. To, it's so difficult to get my my big American ass off the couch and down <laughs> to the. Well, seriously, because you go look. Even Cinetopia. Don't get me wrong. I love. This is not a paid plug. I'm not being compensated for this. It's just the truth. Cinetopia is a great place to see a movie. It is. It's unbelievably cool. Great digital projection. The big like plush leather seats and like a hassock for your feet and like to bring you food and you know booze and whatever. Um. And I've seen several, and the last time I went, there was like a, there was a guy up in the opera box like playing a cello uh, before the movie started. But that being said, jackasses have even started to infiltrate places like Cinetopia because we're there watching The Mist of all things. And, you know, this is a very suspenseful film, and it's a great building the feeling of dread, and it's very, you know, sort of dark and brooding and gloom-laden. And then we're about like 35 minutes into it, and they're all inside the, uh, they're all inside the store barricading up against the thing in the mist that took John Lee. And then, like, some jackhole in front of me starts talking on their cell phone, which I know is a cliche to complain about at this point, but you, you think you get to a certain kind of theater and a certain kind of movie where that's not going to happen. And I didn't, I didn't do the thing of saying, like, hush or quiet or can you, can you take it outside. As soon as the woman answered the phone in front of me and it became clear, I, it's only acceptable to answer the phone if you're going to go, look, I'm in a movie. Don't call back. You know, gone, done, finished, and then everybody respects that. We all agree it never happened. She answers the cell phone. And then she says the phrase that you know, I mean, it just indicates a long, irritating phone call to come. She answers, and keep in mind, this is in, like the movie has already begun. We are 20 minutes into the mist. Woman answers the phone in front of me, and she goes, hi. Oh, nothing. What are you doing? And I was, ah. and no, and at that point, I actually, and I apologized to everybody who was in the theater with us that night. Because I actually just, I stood up and I just said, F this. We are leaving. And I just grabbed my coat and very rarely will I sort of assert myself as like the man of the house. But I, I stood up and I said, F this. We are leaving. I grabbed my coat and I grabbed my wife's hand and I just, I didn't even ask. I just pulled her out of the theater with me. 
And I went and I found the uh, I found the manager and I was just incandescent with rage. I have no problem just yelling at him or telling him to knock it off because it is not okay. It is never okay. The biggest problem I have is that I see most of these films at the uh, the free screenings in the evening. Oh God! And those those audiences are the absolute worst. Oh, they're filled with animals. Oh, <laughs> they're just savages. I've I've had a face full of bum crotch. I've had face full of bum crotch. <laughs> Face full of bum crotch, the Don Taylor story. <laughs> What's the opening song to that movie? Oh, Jesus! Uh, no, that would I've, be that George Thurgood song. No, I, I have, uh, I think I've been to those screenings too. Yeah, it's yeah. just, just a room full of jackasses. Yeah. So right, anyway, so my point is the DVDs. They are, uh, they are the way the movies are trending now. Well, except the DVDs are probably kind of on their way out, but but home, but home, viewing, the home yes. theater experience. So I, you know, and I'm still a huge fan of movies, obviously, but I, but I will wait like the 60-day turnaround time now for the DVD to come out. And plus, and this kind of leads us to the story you told me the other night, which is the reason why you're here. DVDs have just got so, they're just laden down with things. I mean, even your bottom-of-the-barrel DVDs now are coming. Even movies that only I care about, I, you know, I, have that, I was talking the other night about that Killer Clowns from Outer Space DVD. Which you got like nine hours of it. I mean, it's killer clowns from outer space. It's not like you're watching like, not like you're watching Touch of Evil or no. something. Um, but so we were at uh, Army of Darkness the other night, and you uh, came out. I was in the lobby talking to Chris Paddock, and you came out. and You're like, I have to tell you about this JFK DVD set that I got. <laughs> And you're holding it right now, and I it's am. massive. It is huge. It's like the, I mean, it's like the size of an encyclopedia. I mean, it's, this is uh, this is one of the biggest. This is one of the biggest things I've ever seen. And this is one film. I mean, this is not like a collection. Yeah. Like it's not like the Godfather box set. This is just JFK. This is, I mean, it's. It is essentially the dimensions of a DVD, but it's like, I would say it's about four inches thick. I mean, it's yeah, huge. Yeah, it's as thick as a dictionary. Yeah. It's, and it has uh, the movie on one disc, and it has all these extras on another disc. It has an entire disc devoted to a documentary about the Kennedys. And you start wondering who the audience they think is for this set, because right. there's a little folder with, with still photos of John F. Kennedy. There's another little folder that has nothing but still photos of the people in the movie. Right. There's a little book, it, it, I swear... It has a collection of reproductions of letters to and from John F. Kennedy, including like postcards. Dear Mother, I just got to Washington D.C. The weather is humid. Yeah, it's. Who wants this? Uh, let me tell you about a little, uh, little marketing phrase called "super serving the niche." I mean, that's really what that is. I mean, because you got to figure if they sell a thousand of these. You know, I mean, it, I mean, they must have. They, I can't imagine they made very many. But I mean, I don't know what this retails for. What does this sell for? I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's got to be, be ridiculous. It's got to be hundreds. Uh, yeah, it's just got to be hundreds of dollars. But but what they'll do is they will just target some niche for some movie, and they will just relentlessly pander to that tiny demographic. You know who's not getting served? The rabid Oliver Stone JFK fans. Well, I, I will tell you this. Uh, you know what I waited for forever, and then I bought it the instant it came out, was the deluxe version of Nixon by, by Oliver Stone. Uh, you know, because I just wait because you know they just look at it. Not like there's a lot of people out there who are big fans of the movie Nixon by uh, by well, Oliver Stone. Well, you now have the giant JFK set. I'm, I'm just gifting this. No, to you. you can't do that. I no, can't I can do that. This. I no. can't. It, now I watched the movie. I'm done with it. I. I am, you're not a fan. I I am now. This is the thing. I when I got this, I was not uh, enthusiastic because I saw it. I think 15 years ago, uh -huh. and I thought it was talky, and I thought Kevin Costner was a big block of wood, right. and I didn't really care for it. 
And so just out of obligation, of course, and because I'm reviewing it for Film.com, I had to sit down and watch it again. And I came away from it just so impressed with what an excellent movie this is. I got to tell you, my wife has gone for two weeks, so I got a whole lot of, I got a vast expanse of time stretching out before me. This is going to fill that. Well, it's three hours and 15 minutes, this version. So. And then, But then there's at least one commentary, probably multiple yeah. commentaries. I remember, now I will tell you this. And, and here's hours of extras, it promises. See, so. but the, and the problem is, I mean, I guess this is a truly, I'm complaining about this as though it's, as though it's like a, something really wrong with my life. I mean, this is one of those problems that any other country would love to have. I realize as an American, I am about to complain about having too much on my DVD to watch. Mm. Like, that's my big issue as an American. I don't know, God, I just, there's so much on this Lord of the Rings set. I, uh, oh, I, it's tough to be me. But the problem with giving me this is I am a completist. And even with movies that I don't really care that much about, I, it is part of my OCD trait. I will watch everything on the DVD, even like stuff I don't care. I don't care about watching the isolated score, uh, you know, to like to, to, to mall rats. I don't care. But they, but they start offering that stuff now. What is this? Well, uh, you know, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, Barbershop 2. But this is just an isolated commentary from the cinematographer. And I'll be like, well, I, all right, I guess i got to watch it. I paid for it. Yeah, I'm reviewing the uh, DVD of Futurama's uh, uh, Bender's Game. Which I haven't watched yet. Well, I won't give you away, but it's like, again, it's the thing with the extras right. that I'm watching. Like, oh, this is a cute little feature. Oh, this is cute. And then, then there's this point where I can't believe I'm sitting here watching the animatics. <laughs> totally. An animatic, by the way. If it, this is really... An animatic is... It is it is basically a rough draft of parts of the cartoon that they will use as like a storyboard, basically, or to pitch the idea. But it basically is like a bunch of crude animations on the backs of cocktail napkins. And so I'll do the same thing. I'll sit there on my King of the Hill box set. <laughs> well, I guess I need to watch. I've seen this entire episode 22 minutes. And now I'll watch it all again in stilted black and white animation with no sound. You know, and I'll just sit on the couch staring at it like a slack-jawed idiot. Um... That Lord of the Rings, I have the full Lord of the Rings box set, and it's the extended version. It's not the theatrical cut. And I figured out at one point, and I've watched every second of every feature on those DVDs, including all the commentaries. I figured out at one point, if you took into account the movies themselves, and the commentaries, and the documentaries, and the featurettes, and the behind the scenes, and the trailers, and, and that's when you realize you really have a problem, is when you're waiting through a DVD set... And you're actually taking time to watch the television commercials that originally <laughs> aired for the movie that they have now included as some sort of an alleged bonus for you. Or the web broadcast that you already saw on the web before the movie ever came out. Have you ever done this? Have you ever... This is such a niche conversation, but nerds in, nerds in, the, in the house are with us on this. Do you ever do this? Do you ever watch DVD features and you realize that you are, in fact, taking time to read something? Like, they'll, they'll scan in pages. Like, would you like to read part of the original script, but, but, like, in bad resolution on your television? Sure, I would. And then I'm sitting there six inches away from the television reading the script to a movie I could actually just be watching on my television. Or they, or they uh, give you the, uh, the bios of yeah. the actors yeah. as text. And so you're sitting here reading, you're going, oh, well, what else was Tom Skerritt in? Oh, oh hey. I mean, really, the next thing they're going to offer the FBI warning is read out loud by James Earl Jones. I don't know. I've got to hear it in every language. So I figured, though, that, that all told, um, it, all of the stuff in the Lord of the Rings box set was, I believe it was something like 74 hours. And I have to tell you, I have watched all 74 hours of it. And I did it, embarrassingly enough, I did it in one week, too. My wife was out of town. She was in Utah. It was over the holidays. 
And so that was just, just, just day. I mean, that's literal days of your life. I mean, I know that someday when I'm laying there and I'm just taking all my meals through a straw <laughs> and the reaper appears, you know, and I'm just going to think about something like, God damn it, I would have three more days if I didn't feel the need to watch how they made Hobbit feet. I did a similar thing when the first one came out, too, because it was like I saw it at the press screening, which was in the afternoon for right. just critics, but my husband wanted to see it. So then when it came out in the theaters, I went to see it with my husband. And then we had a friend who wanted to see it, so the three of us went to see it. Then it came out on DVD, yeah. and I watched it again, because now that's the extended version. I got to see all the extra stuff. And watch all the extras. And there's a point where you just start going, how many hours of my life have right. I devoted to this one movie? I know. Well, and, you know, and as I often say, it's like, I don't even know how to do CPR. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I, I don't. But I, could, but I could tell you where the original uh, set for, uh, for, uh, for Bilbo's Hobbit Hole is. It's in Peter Jackson's backyard. You could have become a paralegal in the amount of time <laughs> that uh, you spent on this. Somebody, okay, wait, great idea. I often do this. Uh, for journalists, reporters, writers, I'll give them ideas, uh, things that, like, I don't have the time or energy to do. <laughs> you ought to do... Some sort of an interesting sidebar piece for film.com uh, where you tally up how much time it would take to watch like an entire, again, an entire film box set or an entire series. And then you figure out what you actually could have done in that time. In other words, like in the amount of time it takes you to watch, I don't know, all 12 seasons of ER, like, you know, you probably could figure out how to be a dental hygienist. I mean, you could actually be making money uh, doing something. So. Yeah, I'm just saying, you file that away. That might be an interesting idea for a story. Well, Mike Russell and I both started out doing our uh, movie writing for a DVD journal online, and it the only pay was you got to keep the DVDs. Right. And I think Mike actually calculated it once and figured that between watching the movie, watching the extras, the time it takes to write the review, we were probably making about $2 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but that's the... That's how they get you. Uh, well, let's do some of these calls here, and I think we're going to talk to Nina Parker from TMZ for a moment. Then we'll probably break. We'll come back. Uh, I know you have a few uh, other thoughts on uh, political slash presidential films yeah. and so forth. Talking to Don Taylor from Film.com. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hey, Rick. It's Philip. Hello. Uh, regarding uh, Sarah's top five, number three, Rebel Rebel, the yes. best ever Song. It says here, I'm going to give, by the way, the little uh, description of your call. Richie, when screening your call, typed, uh, he summarized your observations as A, Sarah is nuts, B, great top five. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, she, she's fantastic. And, yeah. and uh, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto, is shades of uh, Douglas Adamesque. It's just with, with, the, with the robot on the horse. And it's just a song that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't make any sense now, having heard it over and over for like 25 years. I just can't imagine what the conversation was like in the room as what's his name, Dennis DeYoung, was trying to pitch Mr. Roboto to like these other guys who were all basically mechanics with guitars. You know what I mean? So And you are you are uh, your your knowledge of, of obscure music is fairly impressive. Well, it's called being a loser, sir. Yeah, I, right. well, I guess we got too much time on our hands. Yes. Oh all right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. We'll come on and then we'll talk to Nina uh, Parker from T M Z. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey Rick, have you heard of the gay sketch show? I'm sorry? Have you heard of a show called The Gay Sketch Show? I have not. It's on the Logo channel, which is the all-gay channel. Yes. And uh, they do this uh, Maya Angelou impersonation that is absolutely mind-boggling. I don't think I get Logo. Here's the thing is I got rid of cable for a while uh, because I'm a bad American, and then I got it back, and I don't. there was like a bunch of channels I didn't get, and so now it's like I'm such a lazy American. It's like I go home and I'll look at Bravo, not showing it because I want to watch The West Wing, and it'll just be, you know, it, my TV will be recording nothing, and then I'll look over at the phone, I'll go, 
I should pick up the phone and call Comcast. Uh, seems like a lot of work. I guess I could just go to the kitchen and eat something. So. Well, they they put Maya Angelou in a big chair and she reads, and of course it's a man doing her. Yes. She reads from the Craigslist Men for Men section of Misconnections. Okay, that's fantastic. They, they pick absolutely the filthiest things you can imagine, but they bleed out everything she says. Well, I'll put that on my to-do list, sir. It's uh, right. quite entertaining. Plus, they do they've done stand-up stuff like the facts of life and the the Mrs. Garrett they have is is just astounding. Well, I might enjoy the show. As I said, I do have about 14 days to fill, so I'll uh, I'll add it to oh, the yeah. list. All right, thank you, my friend. All right, there you go. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, our good friend Lena Parker. Hello there. How are you today? Hi. How's it going? Um, I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, everybody on the program today is about a 7 on the crazy scale. That's uh, <laughs> Except for me. Right? I'm, I'm about an 8.5. Everybody else here, just a, just a little crazy. So That's uh, a nice safe number. How is that, how's life in the world of TMZ, Nina? Well, it's always a little bit crazy, but that the craziness is normal for um, for me. Well, you know, craziness is what pays your rent, sister. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, a couple of things we've actually been sort of talking about movies here the, the preceding uh, minutes. I just saw, and I and I only have seen a little part of this, but there's this thing online. It's it's Gerard Butler, who of course is the guy from uh, from Three Hundred, and and he's there, and he's just he's and it, it, I don't know who the woman is, but he's just making out with this woman, and you've got to wonder at some point if there's this particular Hollywood pathology. Where at, at a certain point, actors or actresses become uncomfortable with any moment of their life not being on film. So then, as soon as he's going to make out with somebody, he stops and he goes, "Wait a minute, hold on a second, this isn't right." And then he drags her out somewhere to, to where they can be in front of a camera as they start kissing. Right. I mean, you know, we've actually Gerard is definitely someone who does not mind showing some PDA. This is not the first time where we've caught him, you know, kissing, and it's always a different woman. So, uh, you know, not only does he like the PDA, but he, you know, he likes variety apparently. So, uh, he he doesn't mind it. He knows the cameras are out there. You know, instead of staying in a more private area, he comes out for all to see. So, you know, who knows what type of point he's trying to make, or if he's trying to make someone jealous. But he uh, he's definitely. Getting it squared on. Well, and I have to tell you, the uh, I mean, I don't know to what extent uh, it was CGI or makeup or whatever with with 300. I mean, let me, uh-huh. let me ask you, is the, the general consensus, uh, Gerard Butler in, in real life, uh, anything remotely resembling the perfection that he was in 300? Um, I think he's a handsome guy, but nothing near, you know, all the uh, the CG-generated abs, I think. <laughs> I have to tell you, this this is a true story. Sarah Dillon, uh, my producer, has a friend who is, shall we say, uh, he's a person of size. He is a he's a large man, and he actually though has talked about having having the six pack tattooed onto his beer gut, you know, just like he, like he has the big round beer gut, but he's thinking about getting the abs tattooed onto the beer gut, just sort Creative. of a, sort of a three hundred meets you know bad trashy sort of a, a, a lot cheaper than the gym, I think. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and then it, it, then the other thing that sort of caught my eye this morning was we had that thing of I think it was Ben Affleck who was at LAX last week, two weeks ago, and he, uh-huh. had, that, and he had that whole, like, don't you know who I am moment because they kept asking right, him for more, right, like, absolutely. I don't know, uh, Mr. Fleck, we're going to need your birth certificate. And I guess it happened to, was it Brad Pitt? Was it Brad Pitt that got caught by security who, in fact, did not, they caught him thinking he was somebody else or, they, or he got grabbed by security who didn't recognize him? Well, it, it wasn't that they didn't recognize him. Basically, it was a security guard that was hired to protect 
Brad Pitt last right. night at an event. And he kind of roughed him up, and, and he was basically saying that he was doing it for Brad's own good, but he got definitely got a little manhandled. He was at the premiere of his, of his own film, and there was a standard paparazzi crush that's kind of expected in those type of events. And the, the plainclothes security guard kind of overreacted, grabbed Brad by both of his arms and pulled him backwards. And Brad eventually broke away, and they, he had exchanged words with the security guard. We, we found out that it was, you know, Brad was fine with it. The security guard thought he was in danger and just kind of acted. It, you know, it sounds like security guard may be a little new to the whole Hollywood game. But, uh, you know, it turned out okay. He didn't get fired, and, you know, Brad's fine with the whole situation. He's glad, you know, better safe than sorry. i got to say that, uh, you know, folks uh, like TMZ, uh, you know, you guys, I think, made it a little – you've made it a little bit different to be a security guard because I think there was probably a time – uh, maybe before the paparazzi and the, you know and the internet sort of merged, where if you were a security guard, I mean, if a guy just even looked askance at your client, you could just take him out back and just beat him within an inch of his life. Right, right, right. I mean, you always hear those stories about like some guy would try to get a photograph of Kiss without their makeup, and it'd be some goon that would just take them out back and just kick their teeth in. And uh, so it's a. I think you must have uh, one must have a gentler touch now if one is working security. Well, I think with any with any time cameras are rolling, they have to be careful because so many people want to, you know, sue. So right, right. I, I definitely think it's something that you have to watch. You, you know, put your hands on people, and you definitely might come back to bite you. I'm telling you right now, it's my final thought today. Somebody really ought to start a service. I know they have that thing where you can rent paparazzi to, like, follow you around and photograph right, you. Right, right. What I want to do is I want to hire uh, just a big flying V of security guards just to clear every hallway that I walk down. Doesn't matter. I get up to go to the kitchen. I want security guards just to kick everybody out of my way just for, like, a day, you know? I think it's fun to get the attention to see how you like it after seven days. I'm just saying. You know, I, can, I can check it off my things to do before I die uh, list. All right, Nina Parker from TMZ. Thank you, Nina. Thanks so much. All right, there you go. Let's take a break. We'll come back, talk a bit more with Don Taylor from Film.com, then news from Tim Riley. Hello, Tim Riley. Good afternoon. How are you today? I couldn't be better. All right, then. Uh, around the corner, a little more film discussion, news with Tim Riley. Like is a three, Michael Mary Show at seven. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. possible the movie last night could have lived up to the amount of anticipation you had in your head. So this guy who's singing right now, this is the guy that I met. His person was blurring. How was Paris Hilton? Not bad. Really? Was it the role she was born to play? You just have to look at the context of the movie. I don't think anyone could be bad in it. This guy is the Scorsese to her De Niro. 
It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Here with uh, Don Taylor from Film.com. Uh, so in just a moment, we will uh, join Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. We'll do a Geek Watch, uh, Glorious Bastard of the Week. We'll do a little more uh, film talk here in a second. So you, uh, we, the whole reason you would come in was originally because of this JFK thing. Uh, and we had wrapped up the, the election cycle and the whole political season, and we were talking about other political films. And I, I don't know what else was on your, was on your list of, of political films of note. I actually had a list I, because I wanted to, you know, not sit here and not know what I was talking about. Um, but I, it's, it's interesting because when I started trying to think of political films, at first it's like a top two or three, but there are, are a lot. Right. A lot. But uh, one that that always rises to the top for me is A Face in the Crowd. Face in the Crowd, Andy Griffith. That's yes. a great film. That is a wonderful, good for you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Ely Kazan, yeah. uh, written by uh, Bud, Bud Schulberg. Yeah. And, and, and then in real life, as he became Andy Mayberry, he assumed that same character. And played off it for That's the longest true. time. Yeah, the sort of a plain, the plain spoken hick, mm-hmm. only without becoming like an egomaniacal yes. monster. <laughs> that you know, I was at, uh, I was actually at Movie Madness the other night, and I and I saw that that was one of the staff picks actually. So I'm oh, good for that. Yeah, see all three of us right there on the uh, face in the crowd page. That's mm-hmm. really really good. Bud Schulberg, who of course wrote one of the all time great books about the film industry, What Makes Sammy Run. So yeah, and then the face in the crowd isn't that uh, doesn't that movie have the sort of laugh? The laugh tried the canned laughter machine. Yeah, great, good, 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 well, good well, pick. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a couple more here, and then we'll uh, join Tim Riley. Um. Uh. Well. Well. There's always the the usuals that everybody the candidate. Right. Uh, uh, the Great McGinty was another great one. It was a Pe- Preston Sturgis film from 1940. Uh, it's a guy played by Brian Donlevy, and he's a a hobo who is hired by. Uh, a mob boss to basically help fix an election, and he gets a bunch of other hobos to vote multiple times around the city. Does such a good guy, job, the mob boss brings him on and actually ends up running him as a reform candidate for mayor. That's like shades of uh, being there, sort of. Yeah, and it's, it's another one of those great Preston Sturgis kind of uh, hopeful yet really cynical kind of movies where he... Uh, he finally, you know, he, he has to get married because, you know, you got to have a wife. Right, right. And it's like through the love of the good woman who, you know, he he realizes that uh, that his his badness is not going to serve him well. And he Excellent. actually becomes a good person and and uh, apparently doesn't go back to being a hobo. Though, Damn it, so. you know, I'm going to rent a face in the crowd tonight. Oh, it's always worth seeing. I haven't seen that. GMC shows it like once a month. Really? Yeah. It's been many years since I've been. Excellent. All right. Uh, Well, let's do this. Let us go to Tim Riley. The Manchurian candidate. That's on the list. The Manchurian candidate. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic. The original version, though, not the Denzel Washington. uh, You're talking about the Angela Lansbury as evil. Yeah. The evil incarnate version. Yes, Lawrence Harvey. Angela Lansbury's in it? Yeah. Yep. Have you seen the Manchurian Candidate, no, the original? No, I haven't. Oh, you oh, got it. She's it, got it. Yeah. I love Angela Lansbury, though. But you've, you, this is Angela Lansbury, sir, as you've never seen her before. Evil? Oh, she's like oh, she, pitch black evil. Pitch black evil. Uh, Terrifying. Mother. Yeah. With a creepy, creepy mother-son relationship. That yeah. awesome. Oh, you got to see it. It's wonderful. All, All right, cool. ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. And now, no. though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Unrelenting rain. Get ready for the storm system. It will not cease till Thursday. Expect deep puddles. Watch where you're walking. And beware of storm drains. Don't throw leaves in them and clog them up. Some people may be doing that. If you see a clogged drain or a sewer, call the city clog desk at 503-823-1700. You'll be glad you did. Once again, the storm system will be with us through Thursday. The coast is getting battered with 60-mile-an-hour winds. Well, it was great while it lasted. 
Now the Mars Phoenix lander has died. It was run by solar power, and the power has finally run out. We've actually spent the last week increasing the number of passes, trying to see if we could see it waking up in the morning at different hours. But at this time, we're pretty convinced that, uh, that the vehicle is no longer available for us to use. They tried playing its favorite songs. Still, it has not responded. The final three ladies competing to be America's next top model will be revealed this week when one contestant is eliminated. Alina, who was sent home from the show last week, has already made up her mind about who she would like to see go home and who should be crowned the winner. I think Sam should have been sent home earlier, um, but as of right now, I think I think I'm I'm so happy that Marjorie's in the competition. I'm definitely rooting for her. She's a, she's a great girl and she has a lot of potential. I love Model. that you're yeah, you're I a great girl. Yeah, I think she's great. Uh, she talked a little bit too long there. Sorry. <laughs> I thought she was done. It sounded like it was at a natural stopping point. Time for Geek Watch. Here's your Geek Watch for a Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. This high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Quasar Dilemma, remember, you used just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but because we were wondering if the quantum flux... Just listen on there, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Better does. Here's Tim Riley with your Geek Watch for Tuesday. Lost creator J.J. Abrams has unveiled footage from his Star Trek prequel at a press event in London. The clips feature U.S. actor Chris Pine as the young Captain Kirk, hero star Zachary Quinto as Mr. Spock, and Peggy Simon, make that Simon Pegg as the Enterprise engineer Scotty. The audience, who also saw Leonard Nimoy reprise his role as the older Mr. Spock in one of the four excerpts from the film. In his introduction, Abrams said he wanted the film to be released in May 2009 to feel legitimate and real. Speaking at London's View West End Cinema, uh, the filmmaker admitted he had never really been a huge Star Trek fan. Well, and I guess the word is, now Bobby just uh, caught me in the hallway about this, I guess the word is that they've revealed uh, the picture of the Enterprise or something on Ain't It Cool. I haven't seen it yet, so um, I don't really know. And then is it, so is this, uh, so Don, you, you know you know movies and stuff, <laughs> is this May 2009 date, is that going to hold? Is that... Probably. I, th- I think they've gotten a lot better about sticking to their schedules. Um, and special effects uh, get knocked out a lot faster than they used to, what with computers and it's been the And whatnot, because it's been pushed back a couple of times now. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the problem is with knocking it back. It could just, I don't know if it's script problems. After the last uh, season or so of Lost, it's like, who knows? Maybe they just keep changing their mind about What's going on? I mean, it does. He seems like uh, he could be very easily be uh, the spreading himself too thin guy. Quite possibly. I mean, he's got like nine different things. All right, there's your uh, geek watch for Tuesday. And Rick Emerson, my radio program. Hammer, by the sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. Next. Oh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. Tim just jabbed an angry finger at his monitor. Right. It was just sort of a, that was a sort of like, j'accuse kind of a. <laughs> it ruins everything. <laughs> Windows what? ruins everything. <laughs> I don't have these problems at home with my Mac. That's their new slogan. Windows 7, it ruins everything. All right, but, you know, it can ruin things faster than uh, than with Vista. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, uh, top of the air, way through like us. All right. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do the Glorious Bastard of the Week here in just a second. But because the Glorious Bastard of the Week, because the, the, the prize this week is actually a pass good for two to see James Bond, Quantum of Solace. 
the advanced screening, which is happening this Thursday, November 13th. And by the way, uh, somebody pointed out this morning that I haven't seen Solus, which I guess is actually the incorrect pronunciation. Apparently, it is the uh, it is the it is the short O sound. It is Solus. Uh, now, I didn't know this actually, Dom. When we decided to have you come in today, I didn't know you've actually seen it. And I've actually seen it. Now, so what is the uh, what is the word? Because I hear, I mean, one one doesn't wish to believe the hype, but uh, the, the word is that it's just uh, it's pretty astounding. Well, here's here's I'll be fair. Um, I didn't really care for it that much, but I was the only one at the critics' screen who felt that way. All of, and I, I was also the only female there, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Vaughn can sometimes be a little bit of a, a little bit of a Y chromosome. Thing. I think there might be a male yeah. genetic thing that is willing to like cut bond any slack, right, no matter right. what. Uh, and I'm, I'm more a fan of the uh, twinkly-eyed uh, Connery Bond rather than the angsty uh, right. new Bond, but. Um, it, as, as far as action flicks go, it is a, a good, solid action. I actually heard somebody say that the, the, the way Daniel uh, Craig is playing Bond this time, that it is, that it is, as comparison or not, that they said that it's sort of like the the, the ledgerification of, of the Joker, where it is this sort of like, you know, this, this sort of very dark, kind of edgy take on a character who is portrayed a lot differently in the past. Yeah, it, it is. My problem with the, uh, the, the new Bond is he just doesn't seem to be having a lot of fun. Right. And that's one of the great things about Bond has always been, and I've always assumed as men watching these movies, is that you're just... Uh, that is the loudest typing I've is. ever heard in my life. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought there was like some kind of a teletype sound going on in the background. Miss like, Money Penny. It made me feel very important, actually, yeah. what I was saying. You are in the newsroom. But it's like you're actually, as a guy, I would assume, you're living vicariously through James Bond. Oh, no, Bond. the Bond is the, yeah. And, and and who wants to live vicariously through Mr. Mr. Pouty Pants? He's... Uh, He's, he's not having a good time. I don't says, find that guy attractive, the one who's playing the new Bond. I don't either. He has tiny little cold eyes. Yeah, he looks so creepy. He just, yeah, he looks like, never mind. I think that is sort of, that's maybe the direction they're going. Because yeah, they are trying to make, I guess this Bond is a little bit more of a brooding yeah. character. Then, because it has been Bond films of the past, you know, the classic Bond films, very much they were sort of a lark. But he's not dreamy you know, at all. So. It's also, the, the pro- one of my problems with this film, too, is that I won't give away the, the plot, what happens. But ultimately, it's kind of like the problem with, say... The Superman movie and that sort of thing. It's ultimately when you find out what the the bad guy's evil plot right. is, it's about real estate. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. So this was just all a big real estate deal. As Holly Gennaro says in Die Hard, you're just a thief. You're just a petty thief. I'm an exceptional thief. And as I am about to move up to kidnapping, you should be more respectful. But to be fair, I was the only one who didn't walk out going, woohoo, this rocks. So. Well, you know what? Uh, I can tell you, I, it's a, it, is a, it is a pop cultural event. Uh, so I'm there. Uh, in, fact, uh, in fact, we, we as a collective, uh, will be there this Thursday. Which brings us to this. Greetings and salutations, Kyle Supian from Portland. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week, with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including one pass, good for two, to James Bond, Quantum of Solace, the advanced screening Thursday, November 13th, 7 p.m., Seeking revenge for the death of his love, secret agent James Bond sets out to stop an environmentalist from taking control of a country's water supply. See it this Thursday. You've also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. That is why they are there. Thank you for listening, Kyle Supian from Portland. You are the glorious bastard of the week. 
All right, Don Taylor, film.com. You know, I went out of my way to not give away the uh, the the water supply. Thing. It's the copy they gave me. It's copy from the from the man. So there you go. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming. We'll have to have you come back at some point. Well, thank you. For uh, as we often do, we ran out of time here, so I will watch the JFK uh, the JFK thing over the next few days. So uh, you are the bee's knees, as oh, they say. Shucks. All right, Don Taylor, read her at film.com, ladies and gentlemen. Back after this to wrap it up. Like us at three. Michael Mara show at seven, and so forth. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson. Radio program. Oh, hello. Uh, why, uh, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio program. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcast and day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Don't forget, joining us tomorrow, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com and the creators of Baconaise. Uh, oh, we got a, you know, I had an announcement I wanted to, not an announcement, I had a thing I wanted to tell Tim. I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, let's get uh, some uh, calls here before the uh, end of the program. Like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. Uh, it's 503 Hello, hi, Rick Emerson program. During the 2008 Senate primary race, Jeff Merkley beat a midget with a prosthetic arm. Do you want a man who would beat a midget? With a prosthetic arm. This message paid for by people who are opposed to beating midgets with prosthetic arms. Uh huh. Thanks. Hi, Rick Emerson. Uh, this is me. Yes. Hello. Ah, Rick. Hello. Uh, you just uh, read my name on the air uh, for the glorious bastard, and I commend you. I'm trying to get my last name correct. Are you Kyle Zinn? <laughs> How do you pronounce it? Let me hold, say, hold on a second before you say it, Sarah. How would you pronounce this last name? Okay. S-C-U-P-I-E-N. How would you pronounce that, Sarah? Scoopin? That's exactly what I said. Well, that's what most people get. What is it? Uh, Scoopin. Scoopin. I curse my ancestors. <laughs> that's rather strong. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Um, well, congratulations, sir. You are going to see James Bond Quantum of Solace this Thursday. Uh, we, uh, The Rick Emerson Show, we will be in attendance for this uh, Portland premiere of this uh this groundbreaking and important film. So you will be there with us, uh, sir. Awesome. And I just want to say hi to Sarah and wherever Tim's at. Uh, don't think Richie's there today. I didn't hear him. You know, what is Richie doing today? There was a, We have had several people say that he did not answer the calls. So. Yeah, All right. He didn't. Well, congratulations, uh, sir. Anyway, I just want to say I've been listening since uh, KOTK, and I love your show. I listen every day. Thank you, my friend. Spread the word. We'll see you Thursday. I do every day. Thank right, you. There you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, Santa Dean Carroll's here. I'm sorry? Ah, uh, you guys called before. Anyways, all this discussion about Quantum of Solace reminded yeah. me of one of my favorite top fives that you ever did. It was guys that other guys want to be. And number two, if you'll remember, was Frank Sinatra. You know, I at some point, I was actually thinking we'd do that this week, maybe, like as a high concept, guys that other guys want to be. But Sinatra's totally on the list. You're right. Sinatra, you know, was the original, uh, he was the original choice to play Dirty Harry, I think. Not Bond, uh, but Dirty Harry. And you know who number one was? No. It was James Bond. Because uh, he played Sinatra with a gun. Yeah, that's true. Excellent. Well done, sir. Beautiful. All right, nice thank you. Over. Thank you, my friend. Uh, we also do want to take a brief moment here at the end of the program. Is the music starting? All right. So we should take a, a moment. I meant to do this, uh, to do this earlier, um, but some folks have asked us about our good friend Byron Beck. And uh, we do want to take a moment to say that, the, that Byron Beck uh, is... 
So we sang No Longer with the Willamette Week, mm. uh, which is, uh, you know, which is incredible. We're big fans of Byron Beck. We love so, you, Byron. Uh, so Byron uh, just wanted to say uh, howdy and hello. And, of course, he loved working there. And he's not quite sure what the future holds from him. But we're going to have him on the show at some point in the very near future. So, uh, as always, uh, you know, we are, uh, we're big fans and friends of Byron Beck. He's going to land on his feet. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll have him on the show sometime in the immediate future. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow, Mr. Skin, Bacon A's, and uh, more. We want to uh, thank Don Taylor and everybody from CNN. Like us next. See you all tomorrow. Be uh, safe. Watch out for snows. Bye. And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. 